Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. In New York City, a video has gone viral. A couple videos, actually. One shows NYPD questioning a child and asking him for his vaccine papers, please. And then they get removed. Timcast.com did some digging, and it appears this wasn't a protest. This appears to be just people who live in the area, probably from Jersey, who don't know about what's going on and are being denied service, and the police are the ones enforcing it. In another viral video, there is a man who's been going around protesting, and now you have five people being arrested at a Burger King for demanding service and refusing to leave when they're questioned over their their uh, vaccine passports. The police in the video are saying, look, you've been warned, you've got to leave, and if you don't leave, you will be arrested. So here we go. We also have the White House trying to walk back the statements that Biden made that there's no federal solution to what's happening. So we're going to talk about all of this stuff. We've got a lot of news today. And joining us today is Ina Stepman. How's it going? It's going great. Thanks. Do you want to, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, I refer an organization called the Independent Women's Forum. Um, can you? Sorry, can you pull your mic up? Try sure. And, yeah, aim it. Um, so I work for the Independent Women's Forum and I'm very grateful to them for allowing me to opine for a living. Um, but I, I'm a education policy analyst. Cool. Well, thanks for coming. Thanks for fun. having me and thanks for the whiskey. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're drinking the good stuff. <laughs> Strong start. Yeah. Well, uh, also, I just wanted to say, as people are commenting, yes, I, I do eat a lot of cabbage. There was an interesting mm. conversation that happened before this show started. And before we begin, I also want to officially declare that uh, Bill Gates is uh, not a scientist and not a medical doctor. Why do I want people to know this random fact? No reason. No reason at all. And if you want to share this random fact and help spread this very important message, you can by, of course, getting this T-shirt on thebestpoliticalshirts.com and supporting me in the process. Thanks for having me. And uh, this should be a very interesting show. Chris Carr. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. <laughs> I, thought I, I thought I was Ian tonight. Yeah. Oh, that's Is that right. true? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm Ian. Yeah. I'm taking Ian's place. Oh, okay. I've got the crystals. Yeah. I'm okay. all set. That's a yeah. That's not a crystal. <laughs> I, 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 you don't want to know what Ian did. I'm a very poor <laughs> replacement for Ian. I can't tell the difference. Uh, yeah. Chris Carr, the executive editor at TimCast.com. Uh, please check out our work as often as possible. That's Thanks right. for having me. Yeah, I am happy to switch camera to unsuspecting people all night long. I plan to do that. Um, I am sitting in the corner as well. Sarah Patchlitz, happy to have another lady on the show as always. Why are we working? Yeah, it's, limbo, it's limbo week. Yeah. The, the, the week after Christmas and to New Year's and nobody's working. Inez, you're not even working. Nope. <laughs> you're, you're this off, is pure but, fun. <laughs> but you came over anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, man, part of me is just like, if everybody else is not working, what am I doing? But you know what? We're going to be working. Don't forget, go to timcast.com and become a member in order to get access to exclusive members only segments on the timcast irl show the show you are watching we will have a special segment coming up for members only at 11 p.m or so it's always after the show we record it so go to timcast.com become a member and you will see it there around 11 but also don't forget to smash that like button subscribe to this channel share the show with your friends if you really do like it let's read this first story we got from timcast.com enforcement of New York City's vaccine mandate for children 5 to 11 to eat in public already appearing on social media. The expanded key to the city guidelines have now impacted families in the city and tourists coming to experience the Big Apple. The most notorious video is this one here, where you can see... Let me turn the volume down. You can see there's a little boy. 
He's surrounded by NYPD officers who are demanding his vaccine papers. And they say, if you don't have the papers, you can't eat here. Now, it's it's hard to know to break down exactly what's happening because it's an Applebee's and they didn't want to give us all the details. But we do have this. Uh, let me let me start from the beginning. New, uh, the rule expanded Monday to require anyone over the age of 12 to show proof of a complete two dose vaccination. A video circulating on social media Tuesday morning appears to depict an NYPD strategic response group attempting to eject a family from an Applebee's in Queen Center. The family, which included young children, did not provide proof of vaccination. Anyone five and up must show a vaccine card in order to eat here. Jose Perez, manager of the Applebee's in the Queen Center, told Timcast, we have been attacked by protesters and our staff is on edge and the police have been helpful. While Perez said he cannot comment on that incident seen in the video, he said that no kids have protested. He added, I am tired of having to answer these questions. People have been calling nonstop and we have work to do here. It's very busy. Well, I wonder if it's just journalists calling, but uh, good on the people who are calling and asking questions. Now, here's something I think is very important. We have a quote here. Christina Myers, a host at Margaritaville Resort in Times Square, said she turned away more than 20 would-be diners by midway, by midday, sorry. They can eat outside, but who is going to eat outside with five and six-year-old kids in this weather? Foreigners don't understand why we had to turn them away. Even people from Union City in New Jersey were confused. That's the point that I think is most important here. When I saw that video of that little kid being, you know, questioned by the police, I lived in Union City, just on the other side of the river, no mandates as far as I know right now. So people are coming across into Manhattan confused as to why they're being ejected from these businesses. This is not just foreigners. This mandate means that people in the greater New York metro are going to be impacted by this. And I got to tell you, I see a video of cops asking a child for their papers and uh, none too pleased with it. I don't know. Absolutely. They should be ashamed of themselves. Following orders is not an excuse. Legal does not mean it's moral. Ten cops, while the city is being plagued with crime and violence, are now going after a five-year-old because he didn't get government permission to eat at Applebee's? I mean, are you freaking kidding me? This is a new level of deprived politicization of the police force, of the authorities that are abusing their powers in order to appease these benevolent little leaders that are issuing these decrees that are absolutely totally backwards and nonsensical. And the details here matter because at first when I saw that video, I was like, oh man, why are why are protesters bringing their kids to this and, and having them interact with police officers being traumatized in this way but but the fact that these people weren't protesters the fact that they were just there trying to enjoy their meal interrupted by police officers saying give me your paperwork or else is disgusting and i'm sick and tired to see this happen to a place that i grew up in destroyed by bureaucrats and plutocrats who don't give a damn about the people sorry i just had to go on a rant because that makes me mad so i have Mm -hmm. i guess the contrarian take here which is that I think that it's a positive thing the police are enforcing this as opposed to businesses. I don't think this changes until people have a very clear line line of accountability as to who is actually responsible for these mandates. And what I actually think the way that the de Blasio administration has done this is really, really clever um, because they have made the businesses, the bad guy businesses that have been closed, forcibly closed for a year. They're trying to, to make back um, an edge uh, in their businesses, and they have been forcibly roped in to enforce this mandate. So when I see police enforcing this mandate, I think that's the only way this is going to change because people see those videos, the one we're talking about right now, and they say this is not acceptable. But when it's just a guy at the Applebee's turning you away, well, that's not great video. And by the way, when when those um, businesses are protested, like BLM protested a restaurant that turned away some customers in the summer, 
those businesses are trying to stay like in business as well. They're they're unwilling uh, sort of participants in a mandate that is coming from the government and therefore should be enforced by the government. Uh, and and that's how that is how like democratic change happens is when people that, actually know who to ha- hold accountable. That's actually a good point. You know, when 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 people see videos and it's like you're trespassing and it's like the manager, everyone's like, well, it's a, it's a private business seeing the police do it. Well, now you've got the potential, the potentiality of the right and the left being like, we are all now mad at the police for doing this. However, I kind of think the left is going to invert their police position now, and they're going to support the cops for doing this. So it's not really going to have uh, have an impact. Ultimately, if if the left and the right both were like, okay, we're now angry the police are doing this, I'd be like, oh, okay, well, you know, there you go. Maybe now the police will back off and say we're not going to enforce this. But I don't see that happening. I do see the left just inverting their position because they're, do, they're, they're posting it on Twitter. So as far as I'm concerned, I just take the individualist approach. If the government performs, what, is, what was it, the, the, the Ash experiment and the Milgram experiment? Was that what it was called? Milgram. Mil- Milgram mm-hmm. and then the Ash experiment was people willing to deny reality if the majority told them to. So if you have people who are willing to just deny reality and then enforce edict because someone told them to, the problem is them. I'll give you I'll give you guys a really simple uh, uh, experiment they did that's really fascinating. They put a person in a room and they said, we're going to do We're doing a study here. We want you to fill out this application. The application actually was the study. They put him in a room. They had him fill out the form and they blow smoke under the door. When it was just one person in the room, they see the smoke. They run to the door. They feel it. They start yelling. There's smoke. There's smoke. Fire, fire. The next, the next group they did, they put three people in the room. And what did people do? They saw the smoke, looked at the other two people, and then just ignored the smoke. Hmm. So if, if you've got people looking around and seeing no one taking action, it's, it, it solidifies the problem. Individuals simply need to step up and say, we won't do it, and you'll see people follow suit. I don't think the left's going to defend this because the images are, are stark here and they're very important. I mean, we're seeing a child being intimidated by dozens of police officers. This is not just one police officer enforcing this. The NYPD is bringing out dozens of police officers, men with guns that are going up to five-year-olds and saying, hey, Give me your paperwork or you're in trouble. That's that's disgusting. And this this isn't just happening in New York City. This started in Italy. It's going on in Germany. It happened in France. There's a picture going around that is depicting French police officers interrupting the Matrix movie inside of a theater going around asking people for their vaccine mandates, for their vaccine passports, for their government permission, domestic passport slip paper to be in a movie theater to watch a movie. I mean, imagine sitting at a movie theater trying to enjoy a meal and a police officer's giving me your paperwork, coming over your shoulder, breathing over you with weapons, violent men being like, give me what I want. Give me compliance or else. They're interrupting the movie, man. (laughs) This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. 
Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. That's the nature of political power, and I think it's important that the nature of that political power is clear and open and on a video that people can see. Um, I I think, frankly, not just with regard to this, but with regard to many, many issues, the major problem in our institutions and in our political culture today is a lack of small-D democratic accountability. And I I think there's a reason they enlisted businesses to do that. It scrambles the lines of accountability. Nobody, to your point about people, you know, being willing not to comply, a lot more people are going to be pissed off and willing not to comply when they see five-year-olds being arrested than when somebody is screaming at the 22-year-old hostess at Applebee's. By no means. I I totally disagree with both of you because would the blue-pilled normies see video like that? They don't see it the way that we see it. They're going to look at that video and they're saying that poor child has an irresponsible parent that did not get three shots like I was conned into getting. And now that parent should be held accountable for not taking care of their child being a responsible parent, right. and this is just fine. They wouldn't say conned. No, no, they, they wouldn't say that. Yeah, they'd yeah, be like, that, my yeah. kid did the right thing. Exactly. What a terrible parent. Exactly. I don't think there's a lot of people out there like that. I think there's a perception that there is a lot of those people out there, but I think that's carefully curated and manipulated. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are saying, hey, the first one didn't work, the second one didn't work, now the third one's going to magically work. Why? How? Where? Where's the data? Where's the science? What's going on here? A lot of people have some very serious questions that the medical professionals are not answering in this country, and they can't answer those questions, and that's leading to a lot of people being like, hey, why are we giving up our human rights, our rights to even sit alone at a restaurant, our rights to be alone and watch a movie in peace to to these bureaucrats that aren't keeping us safe in exchange for this bargain that we're making with them? Because that's the bargain. They promised. Mm. We're going to give you safety. We're going to give you security. Just give us your human rights. I Just would, give us I, your, I will your, take your dignity. Risky freedom over totalitarian security any day. But what's the end result of this then? What, abolish the police? Everybody in New York gets mad at cops and says defund and abolish? No. I, I think this is the end result of this is when people start to actually feel the pain of the policies, they have an opportunity. This is still a democratic country. They have an opportunity to change those policies. And I agree with you. I think even in New York City that there are a lot of people who are, let's say, not like the folks around this table, um, but are still they, they see that video and they see like this is going too far. This is a problem. I think there are still a lot of people who just don't pay attention uh, to how and and um in in what like sort of mechanism this stuff is being enforced and again when they're asked by the 22 year old waitress at applebee's they don't get mad but when they see a five-year-old child arrested by the police or harassed by the police um they do and they start to actually think about whether or not um that law makes sense i mean this is the the lincolnian thesis right the best way to get rid of a bad law is to enforce it strictly that's a, a paraphrase he didn't actually say that but um but the, the gist of the speech he gave was exactly that and he was re- referencing um fugitive slave laws right which he was radically against and he said actually if these laws are on the books we should enforce them because that is that mm-hmm. is how people will realize this is a bad idea if we selectively enforce it or we muddy the lines of accountability we have no way of actually changing people's minds and getting rid of stuff like this so i i'm glad to see the police enforce this instead of the waitress at applebee's it reminds me of that scene from v for vendetta when the inspector is like, eventually someone will do something stupid, and it shows the little girl skipping, and she's wearing the the guy Fox mask, so the the cop shoots her, and then all the locals just walk up with like pipes and crowbars. 
when people start seeing five-year-old children being surrounded by cops and questioned having their papers amended, I agree with what you were saying. You know, it's going to, it's going to, it's going to set off a lot of people, probably a lot of moms, I'd imagine. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a huge powerhouse. This is what Steve Bannon was telling yes, us. He's correct. Women control the political landscape. What did he say? The French Revolution didn't happen until the women came out of their houses and marched and then it was mm-hmm. like, uh-oh. So when I th- I think you see these kids, there was a march like that before the the Bolshevik Revolution too. Wow! See there you go. That's it's where hilarious. International International Women's Day is a celebration of. That's yeah. why it was originally celebrated by communist countries. It's the the women's working march. Yeah, you see, I think little kids being surrounded by cops, you're going to get a lot of women who are going to be upset about that. Not only that, but people are being sent off to, to camps in Australia. There's police officers walking up to individuals being like, "We need to check your cup. We need to make sure that there's coffee in there because if there's not, you're in trouble." What what kind of world did you want to be living in where where violent thugs with, with guns come up to you and demand for you to show them your coffee because you're walking down the street? Are you kidding me? That's not a world I want to live in. That's an absurd world, a world that, of course, is carefully put into place by top-down central controllers, and this is what they want. This is what they called for, and they're only going to get it if people consent and acquiesce to it, and I think a lot of people had enough. That's my perspective. That's how I think it's going. I I think it's important that we make sure that there are still venues for people to express that they've had enough because a lot of not only the COVID um, sort of regulations, but a a lot of our policy is decided in this country by unelected bureaucrats. And they don't have any reason to listen to ticked off parents. Right. Mm. Um, And and so I think I don't know. I I tend to think of a lot of political problems in this way. I I really think that what we need at this moment, and I'm not always I'm I'm a conservative. I'm not always sort of enthusiastic about um, small D democracy. I don't think it's always the 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 best, um, you know, sort of answer. There is there is a danger of the tyranny of the majority. But I think in our particular moment. We're not in danger of the tyranny of the majority. We're in danger of the tyranny of unelected minority, essentially. We were talking about this a couple of years ago, Tim. The a, a a specific study that was done showing how democracy was a joke and how the major policies that people wanted were never passed. The policies of special interest groups were passed, showing how essentially the works of Congress is being done by the people who have the power, who have the money, the special interests, essentially all of them. Uh, I forgot yeah. the name of that specific study. There was, there was, there was a chart that showed that, uh, the, that public opinion had a, a 0% impact on public policy and that the opinions of wealthy elites had a massive impact on public policy. But that is what you get when you slow off political decision making into bureaucracies. Yeah. Right. Washington DC, um, and to a lesser extent the states, but but primarily in Washington DC, um, the vast majority of political decisions are not made by Congress, right? This is what was so absurd about AOC, for example, being mad that West Virginia has a powerful senator. Um the reality is the views of Brooklyn Right, are reflected much more in an elite class of like a managerial class of bureaucrats. And those people are not responsible to the majority. Most of our political decisions are made either by bureaucrats or by courts, which are properly placed beyond democratic control, but they've gone beyond what they're supposed to be ruling on. Between those two things, there's a smaller and smaller space for the people to express any kind of opinion or displeasure with the direction of policy. I want to pull up this story we have here from The Hill. Biden says if medical team advises it, he'll issue domestic travel vaccine requirement. Now, Joe Biden is elected, but this what you were you, you were just talking about how there's unelected you know bureaucrats. I think another issue here is that there's rule by edict. So it, with these with these vaccine mandates in New York, it's 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 an executive who just says I'm going to do it without approval of the courts, without the legislature uh, le- uh, legislative body. 
This is what we're getting now across the board. People like Biden threatening domestic travel uh, requirement or uh, domestic travel vaccine uh, ma- mandates. They're basically saying we're going to do this anyway. And then it will get a good three months before the courts actually intervene and do anything about it. So it's rule by decree. Aside from, you know, like the Senate parliamentarian and other issues, you, you, we are just continually getting governors, mayors and the president doing whatever they want. And there seems to be no recourse or um, opportunity for a redress of grievances. Well, Fauci just came out and said it the other night. He was just like, look, if it basically gets more people vaccinated, then it's a good thing at the end of the day. Yeah, he admitted the, the yeah. mandates are just kind of a, of a way to manipulate people to get vaccinated. Totally against the Nuremberg Code. Exactly. Instantly. But it, he said it out loud. He said it, it was a mechanism. Because, it was just right, a mechanism. It's a mechanism. It's not for right. your safety. It's not for your health. It's not for your well-being. It's not for you to look out. It's for you to buy a product. Mm-hmm. Not not a violation of the Nuremberg Code. No? No, no, no. That's not uh, true? The Nuremberg Code that people are referring to states that you have to consent to participate in a trial study. And so the argument is that because they're still doing long-term trials on the vaccine, no one, no one's consent. You're literally consenting to it. The, the argument. I, I understand the the vaccine mandates basically are coercing people into doing it. So that's that's the gray area. I just want to clarify. I suppose when you have an emergency use authoriz- authorization for a vaccine, it's not in the same territory as putting a human being in a in a laboratory setting, and then you know what I mean. I, that's what I'm trying to clarify. The, well, the argument that I heard is that coercion is a strike against that, because if you're coercing people to participate in that kind of environment, then it's also against the Nuremberg Code, because that is coercion. Yeah. If you can't yeah. travel yeah. and you have to get this mm, yeah. forced shot, then that's coercion to participate in a medical experiment. You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and say uh, uh, I stand corrected on that one. You know why? First, I'm not a lawyer, so I can't tell you what, if it actually does violate the Nuremberg Code. But I'm going to walk that back and, and just say, actually, you know what? That's a, that, that, that's a good point. The issue is that people, uh, so long as there is phase, I think it's phase two. What, what, what phase are we on? They're doing long-term trials right now. Mm-hmm. Actually, says this on the FDA insert for phase this, for two. The, I believe we're in right now. Mm-hmm. So no, we've done phase two trials. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're past that. There's, so phase one is safety. Phase two is efficacy. And yeah. those, are, those were the trials that have been completed with 100,000 people or more. The 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 yeah. FDA insert for the Pfizer vaccine says long-term studies are still being done. So. You're going to get people on the left saying it's EUA authorized. It's, it's already gone through the safety trials, so it doesn't qualify in that capacity. People on the right are saying, well, as long as they are doing studies on it. I, I actually, I don't know, man. I kind of lean towards, I don't think, I, I think it's a bit hyperbolic to say it violates the Nuremberg Code. Yeah. I don't know, man. This is all, it's, it, look, I'll put it this way. The, the hype, we are, we are, we are polarized. We are completely mm-hmm. polarized. There's, there's different world views on what, what is happening? I'll just put it this way. The left will say it's EUA authorized. The studies have said it's safe. Therefore, and the right's going to be like they're, they're not they haven't finished long term studies. Therefore, well, the New York Times came out with a bombshell article today talking about how some scientists are warning that too many shots could lead to people's uh, bodies not being able to fight off COVID. That's not me saying it. That's the New York Times that literally uh, wrote a piece about this, mm-hmm. which, which uh, again, is breaking the narrative of mm-hmm. what we were previously told and, and, and believed to by the medical let me, let me just uh, advisors. Pull that one up just to show you. We, we New York Times is struggling to load. And the byline is specifically the, the most important not, no. part here um, that, that people really need to, to read and to think about, yeah, especially in the context of everything that we were told. And so what, what, uh, which, spe- go, go, go to the bind line. Yeah. Go, I, I, go I got it right here. Look, 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 look. 
It says other experts argued that not enough was known about the effects of a fourth shot. And some scientists have raised concerns that too many shots might cause a sort of immune system fatigue, compromising the body's ability to fight the virus, particularly among older people. This is the New York Times reporting. it. So I want to wrap it back up to what you were saying about Nuremberg. If we don't know, and they're already already at the point where several countries have said a fourth shot for immunocompromised, I mean, now I think you're getting into you're starting you're starting to get into dangerous territory mm-hmm. over what, what what over what you're going to mandate people uh, get. So the okay. So from my understanding, from what I've just learned about the Nuremberg argument, part of the argument is based on the definition of coercion. Is that not correct? From my understanding, that's what I've heard. Yeah. So if you're going to say that you can't, oh, you can't travel, you can't shop, you can't go to you know the gym, you can't go to movies. That sounds like coercion to me, but you, I guess you would have to look up the definition and make sure that you're arguing on the same terms. I, I think you could literally, if, if that was the definition of, you would, you would be able to apply that to virtually like any approved drug. That's um, interesting. I, I, I don't think the, exactly this kind of article, right, in the New York Times, this is assuming that people are adults and that they're, that this is a novel virus, that there are risks involved with it, that, like, this is treating people as adults, and the problem is that a lot of our public health institutions have not given people straight information. They have given people a narrative to try to manipulate them into behaving the way that they want at any given time, and that, that way changes, right? We saw, like, the, the changes over time with regard to max, masks, right, um, with regard to a thousand other issues. I think that the problem is that we have not treated people as adults. And sure, some people are irresponsible, um, but that that's kind of the price of freedom in this country is that there are, you know, people get to behave irresponsibly sometimes. Um, but I, I, I think the problem is we have not treated, again, we have not treated American citizens as adults. We've been treated as pawns to try to, like, influence people instead of just saying straight out, here's the information we have. It may change because this is a new virus. Um, this is, you know, Here's the recommendations that we're giving because, you know, we are studying this as experts and scientists. But the problem is the entire premise of trust for the expertise and and um, that entire class of, of quote unquote experts and managerial class is shot. You well, know, let's, let's just be really clear. I just want to add to your that point. That wasn't a pun, by the, the way. They, they, <laughs> haven't, they haven't leveled with us. They haven't came out and said, hey, we don't know the data. We don't know the information. We're still collecting it. This is the informed consent that you guys are taking here. There's also it, – and, and it's surprising to see the New York Times release this article because it, it is it is important. There are a lot of implications with those statements. And there's also a New York Times editor that died uh, recently of a heart attack that a lot of people have questions surrounding. So, so this could be kind of, you know, potentially the New York Times – Deciding to ask more questions after dealing with stuff. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, but, but look, we use mainstream news sources in a lot of our reporting. And all, 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 all the information that we have, save like Project Veritas is despised by the media, but I trust... Uh, Project Veritas, but almost I would say every single article we use, save like one or two, is NewsGuard certified, you know, established press, and and the information we get that that talks about this stuff, it always comes from these sources. 
You know, when we, we get a, an article about people being arrested in Burger King by, by NYPD, it's, it's the New York Post. When we get stories about Hunter Biden, it's coming from the New York Post. We got a story about uh, um, a Ukrainian court saying that Ukrainians were meddling in the election. And that was the New York Times that wrote that. Yeah. You've got to weed through the garbage from these sources. But my point is, like, you can find those, the, the, like, the news in this, and, and, we, and we, we use it. So I don't want to, I don't want, I'm, I'm just trying to say, like, I'm not surprised the New York Times wrote about this. You know, it just depends on who's writing about it, I guess. But here's what I do, I do want to say. You know, we're talking about the Nuremberg Code and stuff, and I feel like that's a de- that's, that's that's probably a derailment. We, we don't even need to, we don't even need to bring that up. We don't need to argue about whether or not it's a violation of some long-standing you know code or law. What matters is coercing people into a medical practice is wrong. Period. I don't care for what reason. I believe that if 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 you walk up to somebody and you can see they got a swollen knee, and you're like, you know what this person needs? They need methylprednisolone. Is that what, is that uh, what they would give for a swo- for a Methylprednisolone? Yeah, what is that? I'm not sure what I that is. I think it's uh, Oxycontin. They're probably going to give you that. <laughs> steroid? No, I don't, I don't know. Uh, Google it up. for me. Yeah, I'm looking it up right uh, now. If, if, if you see somebody and you're like, you've got a swollen joint and you need some kind of steroid to, to, to you know, anti-inflammatory uh, for this, and they say no, I say, okay. What yeah, is, yep. That, that treats uh, inflammation, severe allergies, flares of chronic illnesses, and many other medical problems. You see, I was correct. You were correct. So if I go up to somebody who's got like a busted knee and I say, you know, you should, like the doctor prescribed it, not me, take this methylprednisolone, and they say, I choose not to. Well, then they can say, okay. But if you go, nah, your knee's busted, no food for you, no movies, no restaurants, no flying, okay. That's where it's like, let's not get into the weeds on the, the, the weird, murky political stuff about Nuremberg or whatever, because we can just outright say it. Don't coerce people into taking medications. Yeah. Or, or if you're obese. Like, imagine if you're obese or have an STD. Imagine implementing the same restrictions on individuals for those lifestyle choices. I mean, yeah, I, I don't envision a society mm-hmm. like that. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. No, no. So to me, I, I think the distinction then has to be, and I don't think you can avoid the whole discussion that way, because the distinction has to be things that injure yourself versus others, right? And now, especially in the last several months, it's become very, very clear that vaccinated people can pass this virus. And to me, that makes the, the argument for the other side much, much weaker. Uh, because it, it, at the end of the day, I'm I'm very pro-vaccine. I, I have uh, my vaccines. But I think that at the end of the day, if it's not reducing transmission by any substantial degree anymore, then it becomes about... It's like it's it's like uh you know it's, it's, you're only hurting yourself you're only taking your chances yourself it's no longer an aspect of actually affecting anyone else because it seems very very clear at this point that you are not preventing other people from getting covid by being vaccinated what you're doing is making a decision about your own risk which is ultimately an individual decision they would have to say testing mandates because if you get vaccinated and you can still get it and people are like you were you were saying before the show that people in New York all have omicron like oh, it's, it's, it's record breaking. There's like 50,000 cases or whatever. And it's bad. I mean, you're saying people are like flat on their back, like, I'm sick. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's it? like a bad flu. I mean, I, I just got over it. Um, I, I caught it at a dinner party. Um, happy birthday to me. It was my dinner. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, all seven people there, um, were vaccinated. Every single person was exposed. The only person who didn't catch it, fortunately, or at least only had the sniffles. One person who was the most medically fragile. So I'm really, really glad uh, that he did I, not. But everybody else, like everybody else got sick. It's very, very clear that this is not stopping it. 
So there's no justification now. There's There has to be, I think there has to be some balance between if you're affecting other people. This is sort of the negotiation of a liberal democracy, how much, you know, the negotiation between the individual and, and the common good happens. Um, we, but we, there is the, no negotiation anymore, to my mind, if you if you are not reducing uh, the, the infection rate in the general population by being vaccinated, we, there is no argument. We've been hearing a bit in the media that it's uh, milder. And there's been, there was one story, one viral story saying it's like runny noses, but you were saying it's actually worse than that. Like Luke brought it up earlier. He said it's like, it's like mild. And then you said, well, I had friends who had it, who just described it as a kind of runny nose, just like a uh, like a cold. Uh, but that's my experiences. Your experiences are, of course, different. Yeah. I, that's not what I've seen in New York City, but obviously that's anecdotal. Um, Mm. but I, I think, but worse than a runny nose. Yeah. Like, like flu, like bad flu. Most people I know who caught it, it's a week or two in bed, you know, high Mm. fever. Uh, feeling miserable. This is just anecdotal, though. I don't, I, you know, I can't. Right, right, I, right, right. I can't like. I just, I, I just thought that was interesting too because uh, before the show, you know, Luke had mentioned it. Every anecdotal story I've heard on like Twitter is like these people are saying I'm triple vaxxed and I was floored by this. Hmm. And then I see people posting, you know, images from news stories where it's like it's not that bad, it's mild or whatever. I, I, I look. I don't know what we had. I, I, I'm assuming we had Delta when it came here. Worst sickness I've ever had. Do you know? I didn't feel like I didn't yeah. think I was like my life was on the verge of dying. I thought I was gonna be in the hospital. To be honest, though, yeah, mm-hmm. you were in a very serious I, and uh, Ian situation. Was bad too. Yeah, Ian we was bad. bad as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I was taking different stuff, but that's a different story. Do you know? <laughs> do you know if your friends uh, were specifically tested for a variant, or do you, do they know which variant no, they but, had? No, but I mean, at the time, it's pretty clear yeah. what's circulating in New York City. Um, it, it's. And it, also the fact that uh, there was still some transmission protection with Delta um, and the fact that like every person that it, it has uh, either two or three shots is catching this makes it seem much more likely that yeah. it's Omicron. Well, yeah. But, well, New York City is one of the most vaccinated places yeah, in the world. And on December 26th, they had almost 25% of all cases yes. in the United States presented this, here. And in South Africa, there's also a lot of preliminary data suggesting that this new Omicron variant is getting rid of the Delta variant mm-hmm. yeah, and is creating well. a lot of people to have natural immunity. And then a lot of people are reporting that South Africa is on up and up right now and that they have reduced a lot of hospitalizations, a lot of admissions, a lot of deaths have fallen off completely in that country well, I, I think we're gonna see a spike in the next few weeks in hospitalizations even if it's much milder which I actually do believe um, you know I think some of the data the data from South Africa is not particularly helpful for the United States because we are older fatter um, and we have a totally different percentage of vaccinated people in the in the so the yeah, South data Africa from, has very little vac- right. very little vaccination so the, the data that's coming in from the UK I think is probably more relevant to us. Um, and, and there seems to be good reason to think this is substantially milder and it's resulting in a smaller percentage of people going to the hospital or dying, but a smaller percentage of a very, very large number. If you it's are large. having 20,000 cases recorded a day, um, which is means that the actual caseload is much higher than that, right? Um, you're still going to see probably an increase in hospitalizations. I hope not, but I, I think, I think you're right though. I think after this, a lot of people will have natural immunity, which is something that is for some reason, only America doesn't talk about natural immunity. European countries consider like it's part of the policy calculation. Israel keeps it as part of the policy calculation. Um, there's there's no reason other than bias and ideology, as yeah. far as I can tell, that natural immunity is not part of the conversation. And no in the talking United about States. early treatment as well, which is ridiculous. We all heard Joe Biden the other day say there was no federal solution to this. Mm. And I mentioned that that was a massive statement. I saw people tweeting saying, oh, Joe Biden's giving up. And I'm like, no, 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 it's bigger than that. 
Because he's basically saying everything they're pushing at the federal level is not going to be a solution to the problem. And now we have the story. Now get rid of your mandates, Joe. Ron DeSantis' office joins Christy Nome and a host of Republicans demanding Biden get rid of useless sweeping nationwide rules after he admitted there was no federal solution for COVID. You know, when you look at Florida and they have some of the lowest case rates uh, in the in the country, cases of COVID, it's been going up. And then you look at, say, New York or California or Illinois. When you take a look at the mass exodus from states, it's clear. The economy is being destroyed in these states that are locking down like, like crazy. And it's not, it doesn't appear to be affecting the rate of transmission. In fact, the lockdowns may have actually made things worse. We saw this last year. Can't believe it's been two years of this. Last year when they said being confined indoors with recirculated air could potentially put you at risk. It was, it was, that, that's why people going out and protesting or whatever they said were less likely to get it because they're outside. Well, if Joe Biden is, is, it really meant it. There's no federal solution. DeSantis, Nome, and all the Republicans are right, and we should end all these federal uh, policies. All uh, of them. Absolutely. 100%. Well, that's the, that's the American system. So in terms of, of uh, previous pandemics, serious pandemics, now we've been lucky that since the Spanish flu, there's only been, in 1957, um, a not-as-bad pandemic. Um, but we, we've been lucky, essentially, that we haven't had a major global pandemic, which is, I realize, redundant. But... Um, but so if you go back and look at, for example, yellow fever pandemics, um, outbreaks in, in the early United States, there are some very heavy handed responses to that, but they were all state and local. So like, for example, there was a barrier set up between New York City, um, and Philadelphia because yellow fever was, was, uh, you know, spreading so aggressively. People got turned out of their homes, um, and their property was burned because that's how they thought the yellow fever was spreading. Um, so our system gives a lot of latitude to the states. That's, that's, you know, um, I think that's a good thing that it gives a lot of latitude to the states, but there is no basis for a federal response. And furthermore, it's not just sort of old letter of the law constitution. It makes sense. The rules for New York City, especially early in a pandemic when we knew very little, have to be different where you run into, you know, 200 people just walking down the street. It makes absolutely no sense to apply those same rules in Montana. It's it, The United States is a huge and diverse country. And that's why our system of federalism, I think, is a good thing exactly in dealing with the pandemic. So I guess I agree with Joe Biden. There is no federal solution. Mm. Well, we have this from the Daily Wire. White House rushes to walk back Biden's admission of no federal solution to COVID-19. Damn, I thought I was going to agree with Joe Biden. For yeah. <laughs> On Monday, despite his earlier promises to shut down the virus, Joe Biden informed governors there was no federal solution. After his reversal of one of his key campaign promises sparked okay. a huge backlash, the White House quickly moved to walk back his acknowledgement on that policy on Twitter. The White House attempted to laud the support provided to state governments by the Biden administration. Quote, the Biden-Harris administration, I don't know if I do this, is making sure states have what they need to tackle COVID, including a thousand additional doctors and nurses, stockpiling millions of gowns, gloves, masks, and ventilators, adding vaccine and booster capacity, the White House tweeted, and more. Well, I think you can interpret it that way. They're trying to, they're trying to walk it back a little bit. Because I think when Joe Biden said there's no federal solution, a lot of people took it to say it was the white flag, like they were giving up. And now they're like, no, 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 we're still doing something. We're still doing something. But I think the cat's out of the bag. The moment Joe Biden said that, he basically said Fauci's ideas, domestic travel bans, mandates, whatever, 
irrelevant. Yeah, yeah, but what are they doing? They're like, hey, we're going to give people gloves. That's a federal, <laughs> like, what are you doing? No. That's not federal at all. No, 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 no. If you really want to do something, you know, there's a lot of things you could be doing, especially when it comes to building up people's terrains, helping people, uh, you know, have proper immune systems, talking about diet, talking about exercise, proper sleep, getting rid of stress, stopping the fear mongering. There's a lot of things that, that they could be doing, but obviously the, their only bottom line is we have a product, you got to take this product, and and that to me is ridiculous. And to see them kind of backtrack with this and this kind of lame attempt uh, just shows you how how fragile this administration is, how susceptible it is to criticism, and and how absolutely weak it is. It should absolutely be a state's issue. And we saw the different states approach this differently. Florida did a lot of things differently than New York did, and a lot of people argue socioeconomically and also medically, Florida made absolutely the right moves. And I think the more we decentralize power and authority, the better off we're going to be. The people will have more cho- more choices, and the people are going to be represented a lot better than the federal top-down bureaucracy, which obviously prioritizes a product over everything else. But, but that, you, the, the data proves it. Just real quick, sorry. Sure, sure. And we'll get into this in a second, but people are fleeing California and New York, and they're going to Florida and Texas. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Because, because of that's, the that's, state issues, because their economies are open, they have economic opportunities, they don't have restrictions, they don't have mandates, they don't ruin people's lives in the name of selling a product. Let's just be, let's call a spade a spade here. Well, on that subject, more people left California than went to Florida. And I think it was like over 200,000 people went to, went to Florida. Um, but in that moment, did Biden pivot to Trump in April 2020, when he was basically just like, we're going to leave it up to the states? I think, Trump said that, I right. think what he said yeah, is like that, yeah. uh, yeah, Trump, I'm going to give them the Trump's flexibility line. to, uh, deal with this pandemic the way they see fit. Yeah. Well, Trump Which the did, media uh, pilloried him of, for, of course, for merely course. stating the fact that we live in a federalist system and most of the decisions with regard to police power, which includes the power, um, to, to deal with pandemics are done on the state level in America. They yeah. absolutely pilloried him for that. Well, first mm-hmm. Trump did the two weeks to slow the spread. Then he was like, okay, uh, the states got this. And, mm-hmm. and, and that should have been the approach from the very Trump, beginning. Trump was actually like, we don't have the authority to mandate these things to shut down these states. It's going to be up to the governors. And the problem with that, you know, you know, uh, this, this pissed me off, is that we had multiple governors kill a bunch of elderly in their nursing homes. There's talk of settlements uh-huh. now, lawsuits over the elderly people. Uh, Cuomo being the greatest example, but it wasn't just him. Michigan, New Jersey. That's mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. I, didn't mm-hmm. California do it too? Pennsylvania? Pennsylvania. New Jersey, for New sure. New Jersey, mm-hmm. yeah. Cuomo knew he was warned if you put these recovering people who have co- who had COVID and they still they're still infectious in the nursing homes, you will kill people. He did it anyway. That's what happens when you leave it up to the states and the federal government does nothing. Huh. At the very least, I can understand Trump being like, I can't force the states to do something, but he certainly could have sent in the DOJ or someone when they killed a bunch of old people, and he didn't do that either. That was like what was that uh, March or, or or May was when when Cuomo was doing this March and April. Um, look. I, I, this is slightly conspiratorial, but probably not for this crowd. Um, <laughs> oh, I, no. I think that the reason that Cuomo was forced out of office over mostly minor Me Too charges is because if he was forced out of office over this scandal, it, implica- it implicates a bunch of other Democratic governors who all made that same decision. Mm, yeah. um, so I, yeah. I think it was just very inconvenient for the Democratic Party to have that investigation continue. So they threw him under the bus. And I'm no like sort of quote, Cuomo, whatever booster. Um, but I, I think that this, a lot of the charges are either minor or um, I, I think, you know, that frankly, I'm not sure that they happened. Right. So I, I, I just think that's probably why he was forced out, because otherwise they would have to actually talk about the fact mm-hmm. that these policies weren't just in New York. 
I do love how Cuomo put out that video montage of him grabbing a bunch of people, <laughs> being like, these people who are really mad that I grabbed them, I grab everybody. And it's like he's grabbing right. people's heads. So you're, it's, you're, you're, it's a combination of things that are minor, right? I would right. consider them minor. Like, they're rude. They might deserve – a man might deserve to get slapped in the face or a drink in the face for some of the things that he did, but they aren't assault. Um, and then there are only one or two of the charges that rise to any level of seriousness, and those are the ones I have the most doubts about. That man was a monster, but there is definitely something bigger when it comes to the overblown accusations and charges that the corporate media went after him but for. But didn't, didn't those accusations come out like right around the time people were calling out the killing of the old people? Yes. Mm-hmm. Like the story just has shifted into the uh, Me Too stuff. Right and, on the heel. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Buried mm-hmm. the, 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 the murders. I, I was really convinced uh, by a friend of mine's theory uh, that the Republicans should, when they were impeaching, when they, when Cuomo was not going to resign and they were drawing up articles of impeachment, the Republicans, uh, there were enough of them in the, the assembly in New York to say they will not vote for impeachment, um, even though they're obviously the opposing party and wanted Cuomo out, unless the, the nursing harm, there was an article in the impeachment about the nursing home scandal. Uh, but of course, they did not do that and Cuomo ended up they, they wouldn't have had the balls to do it anyway, but Cuomo ended up resigning so that that opportunity was gone. But I think that would have been something really positive. The Republican Party, even the minority, could have done in New York to make sure that it's formally in the document that Re- this is part of why we're impeaching Andrew Cuomo. Republicans doing something? <laughs> Surely <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> Funny. How often do we get these stories where Joe Biden says something and the White House panics and then retracts or pulls back and tries to walk it back? That happens all the time. Joe Biden must be like sitting in his basement watching, you know, reruns of who's the boss or something, just totally oblivious to what's going on in the real world. And they bring him out. They give him the teleprompter. And that's why he's not. They don't want him answering questions. That's why there was a really funny moment when he was talking to the press. They he had a list of the people he was supposed to call in in what order. And then he actually said something. I can't remember exactly what he said, but one of the journalists asked a different question. He was like, I thought you were going to ask about uh, uh, anyway. Yeah, because it's all it's all pre-scripted. It's all pre-written. He has uh, what was it? Someone saw that he had like a list of journalists or something. Or their heads he were had cue card, He had cheat yeah. cards with yeah. their photos and their names and their media organizations and and the prescripted questions that they were going to ask him. All of it is it's 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 a show. It's all entertainment. Yeah, it's 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 Hollywood I, for ugly people. I want to tell you, my friends, yep. <laughs> the media works. It, it, it does. I often say that this conflict we're facing, the culture war, has to do with the people who are paying attention and know what's going on, and people who don't. The people who only watch mainstream media or CNN have no idea what's going on. I can sit here and have very different opinions from you, Inez, but we agree on reality to a, to a greater extent, and that's why we're probably having a conversation. People like uh, these, these more lefty individuals, we pulled up the Twitter bias of, say, Vosh, who's a leftist commentator. He consumes 95% leftist sources, yeah. whereas most people here on the show, it's a, it's a balance of left and right. I want to show you this. I saw this on, uh, on Reddit r slash political humor they wrote it finally happened and then there's our good friend jeff teardrick who got his uh who rose to fame by responding to trump he's a trump reply guy he tweeted it's finally happened the family of raccoons that live inside lauren bobert's head have completely chewed through the wires and he's quoting a tweet from lauren bobert where she says it's almost the end of 2021 and I've yet to see Biden mobilize true international load to pressure like he promised. What's the holdup? This is fascinating. I tweeted there accidentally mocking Biden, but don't know enough to realize it. 
This Jeff Teardrick guy is, think, is saying that the raccoons have chewed through the wires in Lauren Boebert's head because Lauren Boebert quoted Joe Biden. Albeit, Lauren, you were wrong. It's true and a shabba pressure. Yes, right. True and a shabba pressure. Get it right. Get it right. That's what, that's what Joe Biden said. And so I, I, I actually, I saw that on, it was on Reddit. It was like the front page. Get the, the thousands of comments of people being like, oh my God, Lauren Boebert is so dumb. Oh. And I was like, Lauren Boebert quoted Joe Biden and you're calling her dumb and saying raccoons are eating her brain. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yo, that's what we think about Joe Biden. <laughs> Why won't they get it? Because the media didn't tell them this. So the craziest thing is when you pull up this dude's tweet, and you actually look at people responding. They're like, she's crazy. I agree with Bobert. Biden should be mobilizing all sorts of made up words. I'm trending for being stupid again. All of these tweets calling her insane, crazy, an idiot, a moron, etc. You only need to replace Lauren Bobert's name with Joe Biden because that's who she was mocking for saying true and anana shabba to pressure. He also said bad calf care. I don't know what that is either. And then here's the best part on Reddit. I'm scrolling through the comments and I'm like, did anyone point out she's literally mocking Biden and they don't realize someone did. They were like, someone said, what is this supposed to be? I don't understand. Finally, someone responded and they said, it's from this video. And they linked to a clip of Joe Biden saying, Trinidad on chapter pressure. And then all the responses turned into to make fun of a man with a stutter like that is just wrong. And I'm like, you know what, man, there's tribalism and media manipulation right there because these people don't know. I, I, you can see it. If they genuinely think Biden is sharp and with it and able to do this job when the dude speaks gibberish. And if you point it out, they think it's you speaking gibberish. This is why I have no anticipation that these people will be shamed or woken up, mm. literally woken up by watching a, chi- a, a child be harassed by police. They're going to pivot and pivot and pivot until they're dizzy and they yeah. literally don't know which side's up and which side's down or what's up and what, you know, it. I, I have no yeah. hope for these people. But I really don't. This is idiocracy, but this is idiocracy. Um, how do you call it? I, I was going to say exemplified, uh, but, but tenfold, pro- exploded, <laughs> exploded, uh, <laughs> curated, and and promoted by, of course, the algorithms that that make people see this and and spread this kind of larger idiocracy to the general public. So again, this is not, uh, I would say, a perfect. 
uh, reflection of reality, but this is the crazy car crash examples of reality that people stop and look at. But at the end of the day, this is still a car crash and to me, not a representation of a lot of people. So there are a lot of, you know, people totally ignorant, not knowing what's going on. They don't listen to Biden. Well, the numbers back, back you up. People are losing faith in all of these institutions, not starting with the media where faith has been low for decades, but, but in all of these institutions, every single poll shows that we are losing. And in some ways that's scary right because we do need some kind of institutions um you know so it's as a small c conservative like that's that's when you have revolutions that's why when you have you know a total rejection of of any kind of order so it's it's necessarily i think a kind of dangerous time but i think it's a good thing that people are losing faith in institutions that are lying to them um and and so i i I agree with you I, i think that there are a lot more people who do not aren't plugged into the capital n narrative than it would appear what what you what we get from this evidence or I should say data not not definitive proof it, it's data adding to the fact that many of these people get their news from memes yeah now look certain memes can be funny and memes can share information and memes are a powerful thing but you don't only get your news from memes but they do they don't actually listen to Joe Biden they don't listen to his speeches we do mm-hmm. that's how we know he fell down he fell up those stairs <laughs> that's how we know he said bad a calf Karen should not shop at a pressure it's how we know he himself proclaimed let's go Brandon because we actually watch and listen to what's going on in politics same thing is true with Donald Trump when Trump was president they didn't watch him yep. they only got their news from memes and they believe it and they voted on it and here we are a country cannot run based on ignorant people voting for policies based on each other it's like the blind leading the blind off a cliff. How do you solve for it? I guess we do shows like this. We say, hey, guys, share shows like this. Share share these tweets. Explain to people. Make a meme of this and then show the clip of Joe Biden saying, Trina Nanisha, but a pressure. Those videos where here's here's here, uh, uh, it's in my head. I can see it. Oh it's a video of Joe Biden going, Trina Nanisha, but a pressure. Trina Nanisha, but a pressure. Then it shows De- Jeff Teardrick's tweet and plays the theme from Curb Your Enthusiasm or whatever. There you go. You got a meme right there. <laughs> And then people will see it and be like, wow, they don't know anything about the guy they voted for. Well, I don't think anyone did. I, I think they just voted against Donald Trump. Right. I think the corporate media kind of brought him to the presidency while he was hiding out in his basement, wasn't even campaigning, wasn't even there shaking hands with all the other individuals. He was literally doing really crappy uh, vlog videos from his basement. So uh, truly, this shows you the power of the corporate media. But I think a lot of people are being disenfranchised by it. And, and their relationship with big tech social media, I think, is the thing that is making a lot of people blind. But I think... I think memes are a way of, of combating it. I think memes are, are awesome. I think they're they're great. They're also a double-edged sword. There are, there's a lot of disinformation memes out there. But predominantly, I think if it wasn't for memes, I think we would be dumbed down even a lot more uh, than no, if it no. wasn't for memes. Memes are good things, like yeah. making the videos that debunk this stuff. But if you're only getting your information from a from like a meme group or from Reddit, right? Specifically, yeah, where bad. again everything's carefully curated and and they push a vision that they want you to have. Um, and again, I I was going to talk about the intelligence agencies and the ties to them, but I don't want to go off that rant again. But but I I think it's fair to say you know you know this this level of of idiocracy I I think is is promoted in in such a way where it looks like it's the norm. I don't think it is. Uh, but but people believing that it is the norm makes people more ignorant, makes people copy and mimic that behavior because they want to fit into what they're seeing online as what is popular. And uh, that's the trick that's being played on it, people. I think, I think it's a paradox for these 
media outlets, though, because the the stronger and more obviously they spin the narrative, the more their institutional credibility collapses. And that is backed up by like survey after survey after survey. So like, I mean, that's why shows like this probably get more viewers than most CNN shows, right? Um, they are going to, the more that they spin that narrative, the fewer people are going to find them credible. I mean, I, I think that's why now you're shifting so much to where social media companies are deciding, you know, what isn't, isn't permissible to post. I think that's a reaction to the success of alternative media because so many people are tuning out from the corporate media narrative. But that in itself shows the weakness of of the current system. So, so you're saying we shouldn't be believe CNN when they just named uh, the CEO of Pfizer the CEO of the year? <laughs> well, I, I Luke, I got to criti- criticize I you. I, I think it's fair to say he's the CEO of the year. I mean, look at the profits they're raking in to secure these kinds of contracts with no liability. You're, you are a good CEO. Some people would say he's he's making a killing. Uh, uh, but, 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 <laughs> no, no, I just it just let's be real. I mean. Is it is it of all the CEOs who's guaranteed the most money for their company? It's either going to be him, Moderna, or Johnson and Johnson, right? Absolutely, they're creating yeah, more billionaires than any you, other industry out there. There right you now. go. You, probably, you might have to fact check me on this. If I recall, the entire um, intake of money for the the music industry in the country is twelve billion dollars a year. Okay, Pfizer for twenty twenty one is going to rake in thirty two point five billion for this year. Wow, that's a lot of power, dude. And that's a lot. Look, if I tell you this, how would you guys feel? How would you feel if the government mandated people watch Timcast IRL? <laughs> We'd be loaded. We'd be billionaires. We got yeah. three hundred some odd million people. How many? Two hundred fifty working working age adults. Is that is it? Is it two hundred fifty million? I think so. There should be more kids than that. I guess not. Okay, so all of those people forced to watch the show, getting two hundred and fifty million views per night, and all the government has to do is point to, uh, 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 the the long arm of the law at them and threaten imprisonment, and then we get all the free money. Now, you, it, look, you'd be a great CEO to force your product on people, right? Absolutely. Well, there that's what go. insurance, health insurance companies, yeah. currently mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. under Obamacare. Yep. Pesky right. seatbelts. <laughs> insurance companies lobbied to make us have to wear seatbelts so it lower, lowers their costs. It just really does. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I, I don't know if they – I don't know, have any specific examples of them actually lobbying for that, though. But uh, that's what I was told back in Chicago. Like, people were – that's what I was told, so it must be true, you know. Surely. To, to, to you read it in Trump. a meme? <laughs> no, I love how Donald Trump – would always say something outrageous and then be like when people were giving him a look, well, that's what I was told. <laughs> you know, many he, people he, are saying. Many people are saying. Uh, no, when I was younger, I was out, out, people were talking about the click it or ticket stuff and, and what I was told was that insurance companies lobbied so that um, when accidents – because accidents are going to happen no matter what. Insurance companies got to pay out the medical. But if you if you lobby for seatbelt laws, it does reduce the amount of overall yeah. costs in the healthcare system. New Hampshire is one of the few places in the United States where there's no mandatory seatbelt laws, and they have some of the cheapest car insurance uh, out there in the mm. nation. So there's there's that. But again, there's there's uh, of course exceptions to the rule. There's also some I don't know about uh, sort of who lobbied for what, but there there are a couple sort of out there studies that I can't necessarily endorse because I just don't know enough about the subject, but I have read a couple of studies that show that mandata- mandating seatbelts have made people more reckless drivers. People feel safer. They drive more recklessly. So, perhaps feedback loop. I, I cannot speak to the veracity of that. Though. Luke was mentioning intelligence agencies and social oh, media. Mm-hmm. And so we have this story that's been going around from the gray zone. This is written by Kit Clarenberg and Max Blumenthal. Now, uh, you can uh, absolutely argue these individuals have their bias. I believe that they have a leftist bias. But this is an interesting story. 
leaked files expose Syria PsyOps veteran astroturfing bread tube star to counter COVID restriction critics. That is a mouthful of a headline. Now, I don't know if this is true. I'm not familiar with the gray zone. Take it all with a grain of salt. But they write, by covertly recruiting popular YouTube influencer Abigail Thorne to counter growing opposition to UK government COVID restrictions, PsyOps pros are bringing home the tactics they honed in the Syrian dirty war. Leaked documents have revealed a state-sponsored influence operation designed to undermine critics of British of the British government's coronavirus policies by astroturfing a prominent founder of the BreadTube clique of anti-fascist YouTube influencers. The project aims to conduct psychological profiling on British citizens, dissenting against policies such as mandatory vaccination and lockdowns, then leverage the data to establish a YouTube channel that portrays these critics as dangerous super spreaders of disinformation. Interesting. I was accused of spreading election disinformation and conspiracies because one time I retweeted somebody on Twitter and they happened to have been wrong. I don't know. I don't know about the veracity of these claims, but this is us looking through, if assuming it's all true, a keyhole into what is probably very, very prominent. Yeah, Government agencies, intelligence operations, psyops, it, it's all real. They're all working on this stuff. I was just going to say that psyops are real. The CIA has knowingly infiltrated Hollywood, the corporate media politics, of course, admittedly. So why wouldn't you think they would not be infiltrating the online space? Of course, they're doing this. And, the, and there's this famous journalist, Udo Ufketi. Uh, he's a German journalist who literally came out and whistleblowed. He was one of the most prominent, most important journalists in all of Germany. And he said, the CIA came to me. They they wrote articles in my name, and they told me just to hit publish, and I did many times. So the CIA what was, was name? Udo, E-U-D-O. E-U-D-O? E-U-D-O. That's the first name. Ulf Ketty, U-L-F-K-O-T-T-E. Um, came out and said, hey, I was told by intelligence agencies to oh, regurgitate these talking points, yeah. and I did. And uh, the, yeah, yeah. So we, we so got it. We got his Wikipedia page pulled up. So if they're doing this with corporate media, you think they're not doing this with with social media? Obviously, they are well, because that's how they influence a lot of their policies that they want to institute. Look, Wikipedia says he was a conspiracy theorist. Yeah. So that means everything he's ever claimed is clearly false. Of course, Wikipedia um, is always important. true, no matter what. He maintained oh, yeah. this. According to Wikipedia, has this. He maintained that journalists, including himself and leading newspapers, published material that had been fed to them or bought by the CIA and other Western intelligence and propaganda propaganda agencies. He was an assistant editor at the German uh, newspaper Frankfurter Allgemeine Zeitung, pronouncing that wrong, for several years until, until 2003. Between 97 and his death, he authored a dozen books, including a number with populist themes. Perhaps. I'll tell you this. I don't know this guy. I don't need to trust this guy. If you think intelligence agencies aren't seeding stories, huh. you're the conspiracy theorist. I'm sorry. You'd have to be a conspiracy theorist to believe none of that is going on. Russia does it. China does it. Even small countries do it. Small countries that we don't think would be an issue for us. They all engage in these kind of psychological operations and manipulations. And we get reports on it. Here's the funny thing. We get stories where it's like the CIA said Iran is engaging in manipulation campaigns. Yes. Why wouldn't the CIA be doing the exact same thing? Why wouldn't any other intelligence agency be doing the exact, exact same thing? In the 1970s, there was congressional hearings with members of the CIA admitting 
that they have agents within all the major top news organizations. A lot of people attribute this incorrectly to uh, Operation uh, Mockingbird, uh, but that it, it, that's a separate thing. That's a separate issue. There was congressional hearings. You could watch the videos uh, of CIA officials saying that they have inf- infiltrated the top echelons of the corporate media, and they are using, of course, that power of the corporate media in order to spread their stories or aka disinformation. But, but so. okay, but that's also how like a bunch of agencies operate anyway, i.e. leaks from agencies. Not just leaks. Is is it, and to specific media yeah. outlets, the relationships between, you know, bureaucrats and agencies. I mean, that was that's always a problem particularly for Republican administrators, yeah. uh, Republican administrations because the bureaucracy is so overwhelmingly democrat, but theoretically, if somebody like Bernie Sanders for example were to get in as president, you would have the same problems because the bureaucracy is is sort of uh, like technocratic neoliberal left overwhelmingly. Um, But I don't think that that's unique to the CIA. We're not talking about leaks. We're not talking about leaks. We're talking about CIA agents implanted in the corporate media. I'm saying that they, the stories that you read are also seeded by people in agencies, often in service of like interagency, you know, dispute, right? Um, What they, they allow out about the administration then, you know, helps them take down somebody in a sister organization, a sister agency that they don't like. I mean, this, this there's a, a huge problem with this, me, in, in this incestuous relationship between media and bureaucracy. Let me tell you how much worse it is. You think it was bad back then that intelligence agencies could get someone from their, you know, division to work in a news organization, infiltrate? Ooh. YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok are going to make it so incredibly easy for intelligence agencies to control the narrative and control the world you have no idea. I'll make it very, very simple for you. All they need do is have access to YouTube and they simply say, we want this channel to be on the front page. Done. So when you have a million channels and you have one guy who's, uh, I don't know, Alex Jones hmm. talking about uh, all of these crazy things, some of which strangely turned out to be true. They simply say, get rid of him. And then he's gone. And then you get other channels. They're like, this does advance or at the very least doesn't interfere with. If you are advancing what they want and pushing the narrative they want, all of a sudden your videos are appearing on the front page of YouTube. You don't work for anybody. You have no handler. You don't know why. See, back in the day when media organizations were few and far between relative to today, they needed to figure out how to seed stories. So it could be leaks. It could be over. It could be liminal. It could be super liminal. Or it could be subliminal. Nowadays, they have a million channels to choose from. And all they have to do is be like, buy ads on this channel. This person will make a bunch of money. They'll produce more content. And then we'll tell YouTube to put them on the front page. Then the narrative from the intelligence agencies dominates. It's that simple. Absolutely. And I would argue that's potentially happening right now. Well, they're, I think they're putting CNN on the front page. I, absolutely. I don't think it's limited to intelligence agencies is my point. Oh, I for think sure. that it's, it's a, an operation of how to do business. Zuckerberg! Uh, and, and, <laughs> I mean, that's, but that's the problem, right? That's why we've, we've moved so far in terms of, of, um, there's a ton of pressure and these companies have a, a uniculture, right? A monoculture. For the most part, they, they agree on who the bad guys and the good guys are within the companies and between the companies. And what you end up having is a, a type of sort of cultural collusion that doesn't even need to be, like, sort of communicated, right? It doesn't need to be, um, told that most of these companies don't even need to be told by some like shadowy official in an administration what to do they know who the good guys and bad guys are mm-hmm. um they know which side of the narrative they're on and they can implement that without having to be told i mean i think i know we, we've moved on a little bit from the vaccine mandates but i think that's what the the um federal mandate was i think it was a bat signal it's probably going to get struck down but it was a bat signal to corporate america 
and most of that enforcement has already happened. Right. Yeah, so like it, it, it is a way of getting completely around the actual democratic process of, of passing laws and enforcing them. This is why social media censorship is such a big deal because it's very obvious that what they've, what they've been doing over the past decade with the banning and removal of certain, certain commentators. And, uh, you know, I guess I, I got to be a little optimistic on Rumble and their growth. But I'm still worried that's a short-term solution. The, the idea of getting rid of uh, debates, concepts, and, and thinking is absolutely absurd. To say that this line of thinking or this line of questioning is not allowed is godlike authority that is obviously going to be abused. Whether it's in the hands of Susan Wojcicki or the CAA, it doesn't matter. That's way too much power with infrastructure and information highways that were funded by tax dollars with also intelligence agencies connections. We, when you look at a lot of the startups, uh, a lot of these organizations, uh, these big tech organizations, they had connections to intelligence agencies. I, I don't think that was coincidental. I think a lot of these intelligence agencies saw this coming and that's why they embedded within them they're working hand in hand with them and i think they're using this to promote this as you mentioned him in many covert ways where we don't even realize that they're doing it and it and it might not even be that as obvious as it used to be where they had an agent within cbs news they don't have to do that anymore they just have to control the algorithm which i think they have a lot of sway in at the very least you can take a look at how youtube operates and we often have have some of our segments. It's very obvious. Some just are shadow banned. Some aren't. We uh, th- for a while they had all these channels in an isolation bubble, where they stopped recommending them to any uh, outside channel. So it's like if you were all, it was a clever way to to destroy anti-establishment opinions. If you were in this group of people, they segmented you away from all of the mainstream YouTube content, so no, you were no longer recommended. But if you were already subscribed to these channels, you'd be recommended only those channels. Then over time, they shrink out those channels, shut some down, give them strikes, and then they're gone. And then it pushes to the mainstream narrative. Now you go on, look, this is all, all you gotta do to understand this. Get a brand new computer or open a private tab and go to youtube.com and look at what they promote to people. Now, I'm, uh, to be honest, it's family friendly stuff. They're trying to make an entertainment channel. I get it. But you are not, you, you will see leftist political commentary. You will see Jimmy Kimmel making political commentary about Trump or whatever, even though it's Trump's not the president. But you're not going to get the inverse. CNN, CBS, all of these news outlets will be put on the front page. And then what do they do? Well, people were disliking them. And it was strange. How is this on the front page if nobody likes it? So then what YouTube, what did YouTube do? They got rid of the dislike button. That's how you do it. That's how you control the narrative. Yeah. Uh, also, go on the trending page. That also tells you a lot of what ideas and videos are being promoted to you compared to, of course, the actual videos that are getting the views. They don't show you that anymore. They used to. That's how they got everyone hooked in. Look at the front page of Reddit. Also, another huge change that was happening very uh, subtly, uh, not overtly, but but I think slowly and surely, it just became an absolute crap show, and they did it by slowly boiling the water on Reddit and making it more and more progressive, making it more and more just absolutely insane as time went on, just like with uh, eBay and the color yellow, which Tim yeah. explains a lot, mm-hmm. where people didn't they like the color yellow, it. but they slowly changed it. And I no, think they didn't like white. The website okay. was yellow. They changed it overnight to white and everyone complained like, oh, it hurts. I don't want to see it. 
So they changed it back, and then every day they slowly made it white until a year later it was white. Nobody cared. And I think that's also happening with our kind of consciousness and the information that we're getting from a lot of these big tech platforms that are only getting crazier and crazier and crazier by the day. And I think that's exemplified with people getting crazy and also us dealing with a mental health crisis that we never, ever had before when it came to the onset of social media. Yeah, the the great Jordan Peterson uh, broke that down in an interview uh, at some point in time where he was just like, if I shove you, you're going to fight back. But what I have to do is just kind of take an inch towards you and then another inch, another inch. And then before you know it, I've pushed you wherever I've wanted you to go to begin with without having to take the measure of shoving you. Yep. I think the most important thing when you're thinking about, you know, how tech companies and how social media manipulate what's seen and what isn't is that we need to build new networks from scratch. And whatever reliance anyone has on any of these networks um, it's, it's any of these companies, you have to operate on the assumption that eventually you'll get banned. Um, and you have to build in advance and think about it in advance and build these networks anew. And look, there, there are major consequences to having a red and blue everything, right? Ideally, we would not have like a red and blue coffee shop, a red and blue, you know, um, server provider, like <laughs> red and blue internet, right? Um, but I, I don't see any alternative because there isn't going to be, and the line is moving extremely fast in terms of like initially, of course, uh, some of the most disturbing things that I saw are when it jumps away from social media and into real life. Because um, some people, to, with some legitimacy, say like, okay, well, you don't have a right to a Twitter account. You don't have a right to a YouTube account. That's true. But when every network bans you, right, every company bans you, there's a certain um, you know inability to get your message out. But even moving beyond that, they have jumped it into IRL, right? So where you, you can't get a bank account. Right. Maybe you can't use private transit like Uber and mm-hmm. Lyft, right? Mm-hmm. There is obviously... A problem, um, and actually, I mean, this, this, I get a lot, of flack, a lot of flack for making this comparison, but not on the substance of it, but on the like shape of the problem, it starts to look very much like what the 1964 Civil Rights Act was put in place to solve, right? Because the problem wasn't that one restaurant was not serving black Americans. The problem is that every restaurant in an entire geographic area and every hotel and every service was not willing to serve a class of customer because they had a, a predetermined cultural agreement that didn't, wasn't, you know, quote unquote traditional antitrust, right? Because they're not talking to each other saying we're freezing people out. There was a cultural, a monoculture, a cultural agreement not to serve certain customers. The, the shape of what's happening now, I think, is is quite similar. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's jump over to the physical manifestation. We have this uh, story from AmericanExperiment.org. I'm not familiar with this, or- this organization, but they do have a graph showing the change in population among states. And it's a little hard to read because everything's kind of small, but you can see here, California at the bottom, losing 367,299 people. New York, 352,185 followed by Illinois at 122,460, and then Massachusetts at 46, and so on and so forth. You can then see the states that gained the most population. Florida, 220,890. Texas, 170,000. The interesting thing is, the people fleeing Northern California are actually spreading out among many of these states. Now, I don't think there's a one-to-one ratio for the most part. It could be that some people are just leaving the country outright. But it's very obvious, isn't it? Florida has one of the biggest cities in the country, Miami. But they're seeing population growth. So it's not a city size issue. Texas, well, it's one of the biggest states in the union. And they got some of the biggest cities. They're seeing population growth. So it's not that people are fleeing big cities or blue cities. It's that people are fleeing totalitarian states for freedom. 
This is a manifestation of everything we're seeing going on. People are voting with their feet. They're saying, I'm mad as hell. I can't take it anymore. And they're moving. It's a tough move, to be completely honest, especially, you know, you got a family and you got to find a new job. But I'll tell you, what worries me about all this, maybe worries is the right word. Maybe, maybe I should say what I noticed is that we are now seeing that ideological polarization become geographical polarization. People are going to say no to Newsom and to, how do you say your name? Hochul? Hochul? Is what I hear. Hochul? I'm a new New York resident. I I haven't even bothered to learn how to pronounce our governor's name. (laughs) Hochul. Hachel. Hachul. I don't know, whatever. People are going to flee this stuff. And I'm worried about what happens next when you then have a city that is 99% Democrat and another city that is 99% Republican. And they're just going to be like, y'all aren't welcome here, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to have that social contract you were mentioning just a moment ago where one group says we don't serve that other group of people, but now it's at the state level. But it's even happening between blue states, like you were saying earlier, like Union City, New Jersey can't go into the city right. like they've been doing their whole lives because New York City is essentially saying you're not welcome here. And your child, your five-year-old's not welcome here unless you do what we say. And you soon might not be able to travel to those particular states right. as interstate travel could be vax mandated soon, which is absolutely Oh, yeah. People crazy. have been, they've been talking about putting up state borders. I mean, they sort of, this sort of happened last year when police had checkpoints between Connecticut and New York because they were worried about New Yorkers fleeing to Connecticut. But it might, I, I think we actually might see it happen. I mean, uh, Europe to a certain degree has had some border checkpoints, but that's because they're like, we're countries, not states. Mm-hmm. The U.S. hasn't had that. What, what, which amendment is it that allows freedom of movement? Is it the 14th? You can freely move between states? The, the right to travel right. is pulled, I think it's under the 14th Amendment. But yeah. it's, I, I think the essence of it is, is one of the liberties, right? Uh, that, that the states cannot. I wouldn't want to be in a state like, I don't know, California. It's a, it's a court invented doctrine, the right to travel. But yeah. But the thing with California, it's not necessarily just a totalitarianism, although that does play a role in the thing I'm about to mention. It's just not being able to afford to live. You literally just can't afford to right. live in California right now. In, in California, it's, I think, a much longer trend than in some of these other places. Um, in, in California, there's a vicious cycle where the middle class is being pushed out. It's impossible to live in California increasingly as a middle class family, um, as a combination of, of, um, sort of, economic benefits and detriments uh california is becoming extremely polarized between very wealthy people who can afford the costs and then a dependent class of poor people who are dependent on the state and the programs mm-hmm. um that's a much longer term trend in california although i'm sure it's accelerated now but i'm not sure how much like for example and it's not population norm so it's hard hard to say like california is just a much bigger state so right. a smaller percentage mm-hmm. of people um you know could could result in a very big bar graph uh, but my my impression is that California has faced this problem for a, a, a quite a few number of years, oh, even, yeah. even before COVID, and, yeah. and particularized on the middle class, which makes the political situation worse because the middle class is the Republican base in California. So, like, the politics are becoming more unidirectional extreme as the middle class is getting pushed and, out. And it's probably Flip. why their borders are wide open as right. well, so they could fill in the void. This, this, well, this, California this is, this is actually discussed a huge tax. This is like 10 or 15 years ago. Um, they, they discussed, which would be wildly unconstitutional, but they discussed essentially a seizure of half of your assets when you exit the state mm-hmm. to try to yeah. keep people yeah. from leaving. Oh, yeah. Well, it was like up to 10 years after you leave, they could tax yes. you. And like, good luck <laughs> sending your tax agents to my state. Right. This is important though. Florida has 21 million people and California has 39 million. So California, if you were to normalize, you know, for population, California's losing a lot of people relative to what Florida is gaining. Mm. You can also take a look at some of these other states that are smaller, like Mississippi or Maryland, 
when Maryland loses 19,871 yeah. people, Maryland doesn't have that many people to relative to California. Yeah. So you got to understand population density as well. People are fleeing these blue lockdown states for non-lockdown states for the most part. Not completely, but for the most part. So I, DC, I DC is very small in comparison even to all the states. So I, I would guess that if you norm this by population, you would see DC be on par, if not beating out New York and California for fleeing, especially since the, the barrier to leaving in DC is so much lower because you can just move across the state line and still keep your job, keep your commute, keep your everything. DC has 692,000 people. So we, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not going to plot a calculator and do the normalization, but you know, you get the point. <laughs> I was trying to see where New Hampshire was on the list. It's in New the Hampshire's middle, gained. but it has a very small population. Mm-hmm. But it's gained, I think, around 13,000 people. That's pretty significant. Look, we, we lived, I lived in New York and I told people I was getting out because I saw how bad things were getting politically. Look where they are now. And then I moved to Jersey and then it was still bad with the bombings and the, and the police killings. Moved to South Jersey and then the riots happened. They crossed the bridge and I said, I'm going to the middle of nowhere. Yeah. I moved out of New York City as well. I can't, I couldn't handle it. I was like, this is yeah, absolutely crazy to be living in there. I'm like, I don't know how you how? moved to there. <laughs> well, I moved from DC, so. There you go. <laughs> All right, so it's an, it's an improvement. It's an improvement. Um, <laughs> from a swamp to a rat infested, uh, so, I mean, I, I'm a city person. Hellhole. I, I love New York City, um, despite some of the, the crazy politics. I, I've never lived really in a place where I agreed with the majority of my neighbors. Um, but I, I think in terms of this, this moving and the decisions that people are making about um, you know, geographically becoming more stratified. I think the the real key would be using like what you guys are doing, right? Using that move to build something new, to build those networks, because a lot of these forces are national, right? If if everybody moves to West Virginia, even if they don't bring their liberal politics with them, even if it's only conservatives, for example, or people who oppose lockdowns or whatever it is, moving to West Virginia. Um, a lot of these forces are national. West Virginia is just 20 years behind in terms of being, you know, sort of shaped to your point about the shades of your point about shades of, of moving from yellow to white as the background color. You know, if if the, these but, but, moves but are progressives not are losing, I, I think that they still control when you, you still have uh, corporate media control, you have control of your bureaucracy, national bureaucracy, you have control of most of the culturally producing institutions, not the least of which are the academy and the K-12 schools. So for example, even in red states, public schools and the district officials are at least a standard deviation or two right, to the right. left but, of the population. But this is These why things move entire states, yes. even red states, left over but time. This is why the left is so freaked out about the rights assault on critical race theory. Because progressives don't have children, they have yours. I don't remember who told us that, but it's a good point. Yeah. Conservatives have way more kids than liberals, and liberals are more likely to abort their children. Meaning, if you just went by family, you would have substantially more conservatives in 20 years, and the states would be turning red. However, the left, probably understanding this, has sought to indoctrinate the children of more conservative-leaning people. With conservatives now figuring out what's going on with critical race theory, this completely threatens everything about the left. They don't have kids. And and I'm not making that stat up. I've done a bunch of stories on this. Back in 2000, there were several studies. One found that, uh, a couple of them found, conservatives had more kids than liberals. Conservatives were having 2.05 replacement levels, and liberals were having like 1.5, meaning they weren't. What do we get today? Pew Research showing that Generation Z is a teeny bit more conservative for the first time in a hundred years. A generation is a teeny bit more conservative because it's always been shifting more progressive. It's not because kids are, you know, getting woke, are, are, are getting red pilled or getting woke or whatever. It's because 
there's more conservative families who had more conservative kids. But if the, the leftists get their way with critical race praxis in schools, then the kids of conservatives will become leftist and they will continue to expand their ideology. I wonder if that shift has to do with the fact that an increasing percentage of conservatives are not sending their kids uh, into public school. But I I mean, I, I have to lay this one at the feet of the right. Um, I said I'm a conservative, so on, on my own sort of tribe or whatever. Um this is the natural result. I mean, William F. Buckley wrote God, Man, and Yale 70 years ago, and exactly none of, of the Republican Party's political capital has ever been advanced uh, to do a damn thing about education. Yep. And this is the result of decades of saying, oh, ha ha, you know, the blue-haired woke kids, when they graduate and impact with the real world, they'll figure out how to make a dollar, and they'll realize all this crazy stuff that they're doing on campus is just wacky. Well, of course, all those kids now work in HR departments in Nike and they work in, you know, agencies in the federal government and they work in, you know, whatever, all the other institutions, media, Hollywood, right? This is, this is an idiotic concept that you can turn over the entire education system to one side of the culture war and focus on whether the taxes are lower or higher. Like that's not good. I'm in favor of low taxes, but that's not going to matter if your entire generation, we have now a generation and a half of kids who have learned even way before critical race theory, the previous iteration of, of you know, 1619, even, even the standard textbooks when I was in high school in the mid-2000s, um, those textbooks are already skewed left. This is not a new problem. This is, and, and I frankly blame the right for it even more than I blame the left. We have ignored this problem. We have put absolutely zero political capital into solving it. And we've, we've, that we're now reaping the, the consequences of that. But even when there is an effort to create a school, like a charter school, let's say, that is going to, you know, not allow that kind of stuff. They ultimately do get infiltrated by the woke teachers who do bring on their woke stuff. Like I remember talking to a, a handful of teachers at a, a charter school in San Diego. The charter school was thriving. It was doing great. And it was only a matter of time before the teachers came in. They started teaching things that weren't in the curriculum. Teachers were called on it. Then the teachers started to unionize. And then it became a disaster. The grades dropped. And now the school's become kind of a gang zone. Look, okay, so um, charter schools are public schools, first of all, but this is happening even in private schools because, again, you can't allow 90% of kids to go through what is essentially a political indoctrination and imagine that the, the rest of society is going to stay neutral mm-hmm. on that. So what's happening is because we allowed this problem to percolate for, for decades, and now, I mean, I'm, look, I'm really glad that this is now on the Republican agenda in a serious way, largely thanks to, to pissed off parents who for the first time when they had Zoom school actually listened to what's being taught um, in, in their kids' social studies classes, right? That that I cannot describe to you how many parents I've met who are like, I had no idea it was this bad. Um, until I actually listened to what was being taught. So in that sense, I think there's a silver lining. If there's a silver lining of the school closures that have caused so much devastation, it's that so many parents have gotten a front seat to how bad the indoctrination actually is in a way that it's really hard to convince parents. You know, if they read like a news story or they see a video, they say, oh, well, like that happens in that town, but that's not happening in my town. Yes, it is. Even in the red states, even in deep red counties, it is happening. Yeah, in West Virginia, the school boards were infiltrated by uh, leftists. By uh, I'm not I'm not saying this to be cute or to be hyperbolic. Actual Marxists who actually talk about Marx and support Marxist views. And these West Virginian parents are like, "But we live in West Virginia." It's like, well, look. At a certain point, I think older millennials, mostly boomers and silent generation, they just thought they won. 
They were like, we did it. We won. America is done. And then they, and they left. And then leftists were like, okay, let's go run for school board. Let's go run for city council. Let's start passing these things because they're all asleep and not paying attention. That is exactly mm-hmm. what happened after the Reagan revolution, right? Um, the, the Reagan revolution, essentially, people said, okay, we, we, um, we have won a bunch of political victories. But they focused on the political victories. They forgot about the culture. And what actually happened is all of those 60s and 70s radicals went and became professors in the universities. They went and became teachers in K-12. Um, to your point about charter schools and the, the sort of influx, it's that there's the same bunch of consultants. There's the same bunch of teacher training, certified teacher trainings. The certification itself, um, the schools of education are the most left-wing parts of left-wing universities, right? Um, the, there, there are national, this is kind of my point, there are national institutions involved here, and every one of those national institutions is co-opted. They're all infiltrated. They're all, you know, bought into this ideology. So if anything, moving to a red state, if you're not actively building alternative institutions to compete that's not helpful. And you can build those institutions even in a blue state. So I'm not saying, like, I think it's fine that people are moving. I think for a lot of people, it's a it's a great decision. It's a right decision. But I, I think if you're not, if you're sort of moving and becoming complacent and saying, oh, I live in a red state now. I don't have to worry about these crazy, you know, indoctrinators or whatever. You are wrong. You were, you were talking about yeah. the importance of building culture, too, though. Can you build yeah. culture in those places? I, I, am, I was specific in my words for a reason. Um, I think culture is the, essentially the product of that, right? All I of see. those, those institutions and those networks, you always have individualists. You always have people who disagree, right? I went mm-hmm. through public school my whole life. Um, but I, I, I just think that to imagine that the education system has no impact on the political environment when those kids grow up and, and go get jobs and, and vote and participate in society is ludicrous. Of course, it matters. That's why the left cares so much about it. Well, this is what we're trying to do in West Virginia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, if, if you look at the little chart here, West Virginia isn't one of these states that has seen the most growth. And I think that is perfect. I don't want to look. I like Florida and I like Texas. We went to Texas. It's too dense. We, uh, I've lived in Florida before. It's also too dense. I've looked at property in both. It's ridiculously expensive and you get very little land. West Virginia, in my opinion, has the freedom. Not as perfect. I think Florida, New Hampshire do, do a bit better in that regard. But it's got a small, a lower population density, an excellent opportunity to build culture, create an economic space, bring more life to the, to this particular area. And these values of the people who are here, Second Amendment, constitutional carry, freedom, liberty, individualism, responsibility, all that stuff, I'm for it. So we'll build cultural around that, and that will create an economic center. Maybe not the biggest in the world, maybe not the biggest ever, but big enough that will help people with these positions, with these policy positions, uh, grow and succeed and have families. Well, yeah. To, to the, you also have to harness the actual, so it's not, I, I'm in total agreement with everything that you said, but you can't completely forget public policy. In fact, West Virginia, after, um, you know, this state was one of the last holdouts, uh, in terms of school choice, private school choice in, in the country, uh, because there's a very powerful, like the, the, they're not really unions, but the teachers, the teachers unions here functionally, um, have enormous power, uh, and were able to block those bills year after year after year in the Republican legislature, even, right? Um, even after the changeover when all the Democrats essentially became Republicans here. Um, but now you have an education savings account program here. You have the largest education savings account program in the country in a state where just a year and a half ago, you couldn't pass a tiny school choice program for kids with special needs because the the dynamics have changed so overwhelmingly in these debates. I think that that's a really positive sign. So it's individual 
building networks, building new institutions, but it's also not forgetting that public policy is an important tool, and we shouldn't, you know, cut ourselves off from availing ourselves of that tool. Personally, I'm a a Florida man at heart. I think there's a big fight that's going to happen in that purple state where there's a lot that kind of weighs for the future of this country. But also, I think another big victory that that we should kind of talk about is is more people homeschooling than ever. Homeschooling networks also becoming more prominent. People coming together and saying, hey, these institutions have failed us. We could teach our kids on our own uh, and and sharing resources, sharing uh, professionals in the field and and then being able to to sit at home and actually raise their children as they want without any state indoctrination uh, because essentially if you look at education centers I mean one they're outdated they were created by the Rockefeller system that was trying to create literally factory workers uh, it, it's nonsensical and a lot of the stuff that they teach them it, it's not only just brainwashing but a lot of it is also impractical they could be learning real life skills in the real world if people take time to homeschool uh, their children. And I think that's one of the best things you could do in this life by by helping raise the future of this country. So formally, legally, um, there's always a separation uh, on the usually on the request of homeschoolers between education savings account programs um, and homeschooling because they don't want any a lot of people just don't want any money coming in from the government. Um, but you can build something very similar and it allows a lot more people to build something of that way. So, for example, in Florida, where they do have an ESA program that's pretty well established, you have families building what they're calling micro schools where you just have 10 families who pool their money from this education savings account program that sends a portion of the state funds that they would have spent in the public school to the family directly. And you see parents actually, you know, doing something really amazing that they're finding other people who, who are sort of like-minded about what education they want to give their kid. Um, and, and they're pooling that money and essentially creating a small school. And that's, that's really what modern homeschooling oftentimes looks like. It's co-ops. It's, it's, uh, I think a lot of people have an idea of homeschooling that essentially hasn't been true since the nineties, right? It's very collaborative. It's very like social. People say, Oh, like I want my kid to be socialized. Modern homeschooling has a lot of co-ops. It has a lot of, of um, you know, sort of groups and activities where kids from different homeschooling families get together. Uh, so, so in terms of practical as opposed to legal, there's a very sharp legal distinction. But practically, I think that ESAs open up something that looks a lot more like modern homeschooling for a ton more families. Yeah, and there's been a lot of attacks against homeschooling and this larger idea that it's insular, that you're going to be home, they're not going to be socializing. That idea is absolutely lost and, and absolutely stupid. New Hampshire has a huge network of, of homeschoolers and New Hampshire, I believe, has one of the highest IQs per state per capita than almost anywhere else in the United States. So uh, I, I think that speaks true to the effect that people are having when they're coming together uh, in areas like New Hampshire, like in Florida, and and, and they're saying, hey, when, when it comes to raising a child, this is something that's important that we can't just leave up to random strangers. When you do that, Bad things happen, and I think this is why we have such a big problem in this country, because too many people relied on these institutions that are corrupted. Well, even if you rely on somebody else to teach your child, the responsibility is always with the parents. And we've seen, we saw that play out in the Virginia election, right, where McAuliffe is literally was straight up saying parents have no right to, to decide on what their children learn in public schools, which is ludicrous, right? Um, but... That's that is the ludicrous position that you end up with over time when that cultural memory of parents being the primary educators of their children, even if they then hire someone to do the job for them, that primary responsibility still lies with the parents. 
Um, and I, I'm really, I, I'm hopeful on this. I think, I think that parents are recovering that, you know, power of sitting in the driver's seat of their children's education and not, you know, thinking that because there's a bunch of experts bleeding that you need a PhD, uh, you know, in child development in order to teach your kid math. Like the, I think parents are, are really like waking up to the fact that those institutions have seized a lot of power from parents and that they're trying, they're, they're determined to get it back. Well, let's go to Super Chats. If you haven't already, smash that like button. Subscribe to the channel. Share the show with your friends because that really helps out. Go to TimCast.com and become a member because around 11 p.m. we will have that members-only segment up for all of you guys. So again, smash that like button. Let's read some of these Super Chats. We got Kyle James. He says, getting fired over Vax with a doctor's note. Listen to After the Bomb by Kyle James on all platforms. I want my own career. Love you guys. Hold the line. Right on. Sorry to hear about uh, you losing your job, man, but uh, a lot of people are, are are bailing from these states, so I hope you uh, hope you guys figure it out. DeBob says, anime and gaming conventions are starting up. Is is the pop culture team going to attend, requesting shout-out for funding my custody fight? Winning the case just costs time and money. Go fund me. Help fight for custody of my son, Robert. Well, good luck with your custody hearing, my friend. Uh, I don't know exactly what we're going to do with the pop culture team because the show is new. But if you haven't already, you can subscribe to Pop Culture Crisis. The easiest way to find it, you can actually go to TimCast.com and there's a tab for it. And this is where the crew talks about movies, new shows, uh, video games, stuff like that. Definitely check it out. Robbie Robbie Hammer says, met a fellow TimCast daily listener at the gym today. Nope. Had a nice chat and he told me that your show changed his political philosophy. Used to be a leftist. Keep unplugging peeps from the matrix. Cool. 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 Right on, man. Um, I'm glad to hear it. Well, the best thing you guys can do is if you like the show to share it and tell your friends about it. Um, that's, this is how podcasts grow is that people play it in front of other people or tell people to listen to it. Friends will come over and they'll be like, you know, they'll be chilling with the show in the background or something like that or in the car. Uh, I don't know, man. I also think it can be kind of like corny, like, guys, listen to this political show. You're going to love it. Or maybe it's what you got to do. You know what I mean? All right. Let's see what we got. Nova says, Ricardo Law said he would be happy to come back. Jack also messaged him, basically threatening his ability to appear on your show. Bad luck for Timcast. Guests thinking they can ban other guests. Uh, I have no idea what that's all about. Ricardo is always welcome to come back on the show. We're big fans, and he does an excellent show. And whatever beef there is between other people... Nothing to do with us, but uh, by all means, not cool if that's the case. I haven't seen it, but if I see it, then I will absolutely uh, expand upon it. Amateur Anth says, Simpcast IRL, we need to fight for our rights to partay and our right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which the government has taken away since women have the, have had the right to vote, repeal the 19th. Ladies? I have nothing to add. <laughs> <laughs> men, men voted in the 19th. Right? Yep. I would, so, I would say Again, that, yeah. it's all men's Great fault. Great observation. And uh, women are uh, over, are, are mo- uh, uh, women are more likely to be pro-life than men. That is correct. But the left often makes it like, you know, seem, oh, it's these men who are regulating women's bodies. Like, mm, that's actually the women vote. I, I think one of the, to move away from the extreme case, but like, <laughs> I do think that there are some political differences between men and women, not just the obvious, um, there, there are more male Republicans, there are more female Democrats. Um, but... I, I think women often are sort of the gatekeepers of whatever the, the sort of institutional culture or the um, the small C conservative sort of cultural memory of a place. Um, and so if if the institutions go one direction, I think women kind of preserve 
that um, whereas men tend to be more willing to buck an institution or like for example social arrangement than women obviously these are generalizations and there's plenty plenty of women who buck those arrangements and men who don't but um i think that that's part of the reason we're seeing women uh vote so much more democrat i think it's like alignment of sort of the the regime and i mean that in the like aristotelian sense not like in the putin's regime kind of uh way but um i I think women tend to align more with the regime of a place so more agreeable all right the sinister sibling says things are getting worse here in australia they refusing food and produce from unjabbed farms, enhancing a food shortage. There are now attempts by our state governments to ban the non-compliant from being able to vote. Isn't isn't voting compulsory in Australia? So there's going to be a yeah, lot of people I being so. like, okay, good, I guess. I don't want to vote in the first place. They make me do it. Huh. But imagine what it's going to be like when you allow one class of people to vote and another class not to. That'll be fun. Yeah. Forward to seeing that. Almost, there's, there's nothing slippery about that slope. I have is, no idea what you're talking about. But it, <laughs> but is, is this not too dissimilar to service guarantee citizenship? Sounds like it. The state says provide service to the state. In this case, get your your vaccine and then you can vote and everyone else can't. So, but the the smaller version of this happened in New York City during the the city elections. Um, and yes, apparently they cannot, under federal law, prevent, for example, somebody from voting because they're not wearing a mask. So there were some attempts and some like dis disagreement or, but yeah. So th- th- we have, fortunately, we have some legal institutions in place in the United States that will prevent that from happening at least for some time. All right. Durr0694 says, heard about Kroger's mandate on S2 Underground's Christmas update. Today I got my food at local store across the highway and will continue for now. Good on you. Yes. We had Mark Lobliner on the show, and he has the Outright Bars, which is like a whole food protein bar, and they're delicious. Seriously, he, he got us a whole bunch. We ordered some. They're so delicious. And he, he wrote a letter to Kroger. It was Kroger, right? Yeah. And they also own, uh, uh, I think, Ralph's, Bunch saying, stuff, yeah. we're not going to do business with you because of your vaccine policies, taking away benefits from employees. And it cost him, what well, he said, seven figures. He was willing to forego millions of dollars to his business to do what was right. That is exactly what we've been talking about, saying you got to stand up. And I'm not telling people to, you know, sacrifice that much money from their business. And I'm even saying I understand a lot of people might have difficulties, but that is an, the, the, the example of standing up, man. I, I respect that tremendously. Commendable. Mm-hmm. Outright bars, man, from Tiger Fitness. Paulina Prochaka says, hi from Poland today. I went to Ice Ring. They had mandate for how many vaccinated and unvaccinated people could be on ice. They enforced it. What's going on, Luke? That's crazy. What's, uh, what is this? <laughs> well, Poland's been making a lot of stances against the European Union. Uh, very uh, important political moves. But domestically, I, I think internally, there's places like New York City in Poland. And also there's places like Florida in, in Poland. But I think majority is like like Florida from my perspective but you know everyone has their own rules and uh however they want to implement it that's up to them all right john christens uh christian says mark was an awesome guest last night would love to see jim wendler on co-founder of elite efts what is that i don't know i think i'm pronouncing it right creator of 531 lifting program elite power lifter and london ohio high school football coach great example of building culture cool sounds good check him out yeah oh what is this uh, fast first says today is my birthday and it was pretty crazy so here's money I meant crap so here's more money well thank you for your money on your birthday happy birthday, <laughs> birthday. David Tracy says anyone who is willing to demand papers from a child will put that child on the rail car if ordered to I completely agree and that's why I tweeted the quote from Michael Malice mm-hmm. when he said 
There is no law so obscene that a police officer would not be willing to enforce it up to and including executing innocent children. It's a bit of an extreme statement, but uh, he did. He, he said it before in reference to Waco. Now, I get it. Waco was federal law enforcement, but I think we understand his point. When ordered to, they firebombed a house, these law enforcement officers, and they killed many children. So uh, when I saw that video of them telling this kid, show us your papers, I was like, yeah, I don't think Michael's wrong. I think the issue is that they're going to assume they're being given orders for a just reason. There's going to be a kid running through the street, and they're going to say, stop that kid. He's dangerous. And they're going to say, okay. And that's it. Kid will get killed. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, hopefully we never get to that point, though. But I think you see it with a lot of other countries and what they've done. To assume that it can't happen here in America, I think, is incorrect. Bredo Jacko says, stop calling people who don't take a possibly deadly jab irresponsible nitwits. It is irresponsible. Well, for the sake of uh, of YouTube, I will just say I agree with the first part of that. And unfortunately, the second part of that will probably get us in trouble. To put it simply, though, it should just be your choice from your medical professional and your advice. And I actually think someone who's willing to say I'm going to do the groundwork to investigate is a smarter individual. But unfortunately, YouTube is, a, is an unfriendly beast. That's why we put a lot of our episodes up on Rumble. And we have all the clips there as well, which you can definitely check out. All right. Let's see what we got here. We got Ryan Green. He says, everyone should give the Applebee's in Queen Center a one-star rating on Google. Hit them in the pockets. I'm not necessarily a big fan of that. I would say if you go there for some reason, do so. But I do think you can call them and, and ask for a comment and, and, and ask them questions about, you know, what's going on with your policies? What are the exemptions or the medical exemptions? I think regular people need to understand that there will be social enforcement. The yes. left is really good at this. Someone, there's that race car driver whose dad said a naughty word in the 80s. And so he lost his sponsors. That guy, Brandon Brown, over the Let's Go Brandon, he can't get sponsors now because mm-hmm. nobody, he didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. It was, it was the reporters. They're really good at social enforcement. Ryan Long's new sketch is hilarious where it's a left wing and right wing podcaster presenting their sponsors. And the left wing podcast says, I don't like that Bunker Ties advertises on Patriot Podcast. And then it shows the Patriot Podcast going, Bunker Ties will no longer be advertising with us. Huh. It's, it's like even right wing companies, like you, what, that whole hubbub over Black Rifle Coffee. Yeah. Should never have happened. They, but conservative companies and politicians, Republicans care more about the opinion of the New York Times than their own constituents and fans. Oh, so this news did, did come out. We didn't get to it. Wraith Customs Firearm says, hey, crew, former mm-hmm. Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid just died, reported yeah. 30 minutes ago via all major me- mainstream outlets. Can we get your thoughts mm-hmm. on him and uh, him, Luke? Um, Aliens. <laughs> he, he was very big into uh, getting information out about aliens. I don't know too much uh, about him other than that. I don't, I don't wish to kind of say anything else further, to be honest with you. Yeah, I, you know. I don't know a whole lot about Harry Reid, to be completely honest, because he was before my time. I know that he was into aliens and stuff like that. But for the sake of someone just died, I try to let, you know, things simmer down a little bit. Literally just happened. All right. Steve Van Valkenburg. If no independent or conservative outlets talked about COVID for two weeks or a month, what do you think would happen in the current state? What do you guys think? It's a really interesting question. Mm-hmm. I think one of two things could happen. It's possible that... The, the narrative shifts completely to something else. But conservatives don't control the news cycle. They typically just respond to it. They, they don't set it. That's how you end up with Justice Millett or the Covington kids. They response typically will fact check or call it out. But it's possible that if they don't talk about it, 
the leftist narrative becomes dominant, and then they enact a whole bunch of crazy policies because there's happen. no pushback. Yeah. Or maybe everyone just forgets about it, but I, I think they would just have no pushback and they'd push even further. I, I could see it going either way, not for the mechanism that you're talking about, but just because I think there's a certain percentage of hysterical people on the left who literally continue to do things just to prove they're not Republicans. I mean, we saw right. people saying that about masks. Oh, I wear I wear a mask because people will think I'm a Republican. David Hogg said it. He was like, but yeah. people will think I'm conservative. Andrew M. says, I was, I was diagnosed with COVID yesterday. I could hardly breathe. Refer to the ER with BP 180 over 14, temperature 103. It is still serious, but possibly milder. Today I felt I feel okay and got the MAB treatment. Thank God treatment is available. Me and Ian were really bad, man. MAB? Ian, What's MAB? Monocule antibodies? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh. Uh, Ian and I were just like, on. we just felt miserable. That's it was really, really awful. And then literally 12 hours after the monoclonal antibodies, I was like, I'm better. It was a rough night though, no joke. After the, I was, that was the worst night after I got that, that, that treatment. But the next day I was like, wow, I still felt a little sick, but it was clearly gone away. Crazy, crazy. Yeah, I, 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 I've always, I've always thought we should take it seriously, but the issue is not to the extent that the, 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 the Democrats have been doing, acting like the world's ending. It's like, look, it's really, really bad. I understand slowing the curve. I understand, you know, trying to be, be take precautions and stuff. I also understand Florida has policies in place that seem to be working very well. So maybe we should look at where the data is actually working and not where it's not. Mr. The Cool says, Head PE has a good song called Feel Good. The lyrics speak to me more these days. When you take time to listen, you understand more. Right on. All right. Let's uh, where are we at? Calvin Fox says, where is the federal government getting a thousand doctors to help the states? I believe they're military, right? That's what I read. Yeah, yeah. sending military doctors. Mm -hmm. All right. Granite. What does it say? Granite is nice. I do miss Ian, but I've enjoyed seeing Chris on IRL more. Can y'all make him a regular? Oh, well, yeah, especially with Ian popping out. It's very kind of you. Yeah, we'll Thank you. Him, Thank we'll you very much on. for saying that. Absolutely. Red coat leader. Only 2% of patients currently in UK hospitals have tested positive for COVID. This is the lowest for 2021. Boris confirms no new measures for England despite record test number. The pandemic is over. Maybe. That's what Luke was saying the other day. You were saying you thought that Omicron was going to lead to people like giving up on it. I don't know if you agree, Ines. Potentially in a month to three months, a lot of scientists are saying that this is the best case scenario because it will build up to natural immunity and then people will, of course, uh, end this official sickness. So I think there's a possibility, I think 80% chance from my own personal perspective that that could happen unless there's another mutation that um, is, again, highly debated how it comes up and how it's made. But who knows how it will go. But I think from everything I'm seeing, it's going to be over in a month to three months. I don't, And add to that I, the I, fatigue. I yeah. I I yeah. I think for slightly annoying reasons, um, which is that once all of the reporters in Brooklyn get this behind them, the country will be able to get it behind the, the entire country. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that's I think true. you're already seeing mm -hmm. the narrative shift oh, on yeah. like at lightning speed. And I think that's what's going to happen, unless, as you say, if there is like some major new strain uh, that really changes the equation in some way. But through a combination of uh, vaccinated and natural immunity now, plus 
the all important social factor of the hipsters in Brooklyn getting it. I think yeah. that last factor is probably more important than any scientific reason. <laughs> Naturally, a new variant coming that's going to be more lethal and more dangerous is 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 very 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 rare, and that's why I'm saying that's the situation that's going to happen. All right, Andy plays game. Says, have you seen Don't Look Up? It's a fascinating social commentary in the realm of a comet impact. Replace comet with COVID. Parallels are astounding. I didn't see it. I saw like the snippet at the beginning, and I thought it was about climate change or whatever. But you said it was good. Luke. I did. I liked it. And again, it's left up for people's interpretation. You could interpret it as you want, but just just think of it as, as an asteroid. And it was a good critique of the media. the The critique of of what the corporate media does was absolutely perfect. And I liked it. I enjoyed the movie. Cool. I hate watched it last night to the bitter end. Uh, I you mean, didn't like it? It's, it's totally appalling. I mean, <laughs> really? I mean, well, yeah, because I mean, we the, the director already came out as you know, like this is all about him dealing with his own anxiety about climate change. You can also watch it through the lens of the flip side of it. And it's just like it's not comet hysteria; it's COVID hysteria. And I guess there's some sort of a defanged political parody in there somewhere. But I. I found the movie awful. I found the acting terrible, and I thought the ending was truly offensive. Wow, the Ooh. ending was offensive. It was a fam- it, it was, was. A, it was a family oriented kind of ending, though, right? <laughs> I, I would I would let's uh, not spoil. We're not going to spoil I would anything. Claim the opposite, really, wow, and, and nothing would make it. me happier to May- spoil it for everyone. Okay, <laughs> all, right. all right, I'm gonna have to go watch it. Yeah, <laughs> Raymond G. Stanley Jr. says, "Tim, guys." How can I not super chat about Biden saying, let's go Brandon to himself in real life, to himself in real life. Inez, how is Biden our leader? <laughs> Don't ask me. <laughs> he's not. Um, he's a puppet. He said it to himself. <laughs> that's what killed me about the mainstream, well, I, the corporate press coverage is that like the story was this guy came in and he said that. And that's just so disrespectful. And I was like, no, that's not the story. The story is that he repeated it blindly. <laughs> and like, agreed with that's it. That's the story. I agree. With it. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Let's go, Brandon. Yeah. Well, I, what I, are you I thinking? do think it's really <sighs> remarkable that everyone else on that Democratic stage was so much worse. Like that's. <laughs> I mean, that's remarkable yep. in itself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It really is. Man. All right. Joseph Henson says, we have a habit of accepting scapegoats and allowing corrupt structures to persist. Events in history where all guilty parties and their policies are found and removed take the trophy for being the rare occurrence. The circus is powerful. Indeed. And more people mentioning that Harry Reid has passed away. Mm. The last thing I saw of him, he was talking about UFOs. Yeah, that's could he have gotten too close? Maybe to the truth. They abducted him. No, I don't. I don't know about that. <clears throat> All right, Mister Physics says America is following step for step with Tsarist Russia, bloated bureaucracy inevitably stonewalling the government into extreme incapability to fulfill its duties. There will be a revolution within the next twenty years. Well, if you believe in the Strassau generational theory, that will be in the next uh, six years. Yeah. Well, it should yeah. end. By 2028, right? Yeah. That's when the great so, conflict yeah. is supposed to end? Hmm. Well, there you go. Mr. Obvious, uh, Mr. Obvious says, Dems need to stay out of red states. They always vote for the same policies they are running from. They ruin everything they touch. They never learn. There's a viral Twitter thread from a guy in San Francisco, and he's like, we have to move. We have to leave San Francisco. The policy's here. It's Everything's being ruined. And we're going to Miami. And of course, we recognize the politics of Miami are worse. It's like, no, 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 no. You're, you're, you're not being honest. The, you would not move there if it was worse. That's, that's what I'm worried about too when we see that exodus. How many of these people that are leaving these blue states are actually more conservative leaning or how many are just more progressives and Democrats are going to bring those policies to Florida and Texas? It's one step even more, I think. So when you have companies that move their seats, for example, from San Francisco to Austin, um, you're going to 
change the makeup of the state because it, then it won't just be the people who voluntarily leave, some of whom are still, you know, sort of liberal Democrats and leaving for other reasons. Um, but at least the majority of people have some skepticism because they're leaving. Um, once you have companies move their seats to some of these places, it'll, they'll just ask their employees to move out and it'll be an indiscriminate selection of mostly rich people, uh, in, for example, San Francisco. And then it'll get really, really bad, the political sort of. This is what I was saying about Joe Rogan moving from California to Texas. You know, a lot of, there was that comic we bring up. I think it was Ben Garrison where, uh, He's walking from California carrying a bag. The bag says liberal policies, and there's a Texan being like, hey, leave that where you, you know where you came from. When Elon Musk moves his headquarters from California, all of those California employees who are leftist or left-leaning are now in Texas, and they're now going to vote. So it's not a good thing when these companies move. Everyone's like, yeah, you show California who's boss, and then they bring all those employees to Texas, and they change the makeup, especially when it's, when it's at risk of flipping. Could be a bad thing. Only outside of Austin. Austin's a different story. It's a communist city. Yeah. yeah. It's really bad. Woke Doctor says, is that, is that, or is it Woketer? Hey, uh, hey Tim, long time fan. Yeah, and you know, water seeks its level eight inches per mile squared and stuff. Never go full Ian. That's what is, what is that about? I'm confused. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know what that means. Does that, is that, I was thinking about this when I saw the super chat. I was like, if you had like a big plane <laughs> that was like a hundred square miles and you put like a hundred tons of water in the middle, how deep would it be in the middle? Like, I don't actually know, and I'm sure there's actually an easy way to find out. But would it be leveled all the way across, yeah. or would it be deeper in the middle because of surface tension? It would be level, I would think, to any measurable degree. Well, that's why he's saying eight inches per, ah, per mile squared. Gotcha. Is that what he's talking about? I don't or know. Or is that some kind of, like, hidden code, and Ian is watching, and he's like, I got the message. I got the message. <laughs> or, I think, or I think I think it's something else. That's that, actually uh, the thing that's planted <laughs> by the CIA guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's I, I, it's an activation code. Yeah. I, I, actually <laughs> think, I actually think what's more likely is that it's not anything in particular, but Ian thinks it's a code. I got the message. And yeah. the guy's like, there's no message there. No message. <laughs> Steel, Steel Valor says, Tim, I wonder what the political breakdown is of how many people have died from COVID. You should do a study on this. I think um, in, early on it was blue states and then it switched. Yeah. But that's just if you trust the official data coming out of like mm-hmm. the New York Times or whatever. I don't actually know the numbers. I would imagine it would skew Republican because older people are more likely to right. die of COVID. So I would imagine it would have to be a really strong political effect to overcome the age difference. True. Eric Reitz says, love you guys and appreciate the show. But my goodness, please get your history straight. Segregation and anti-miscegenation were state enforced, not cultural. Interstate Commerce Clause in the Constitution bolstered by the 14th. Uh, I have I have many times talked about my family having to flee certain states due to anti-miscegenation laws. So we certainly understood and have talked about how it's state enforced. And then, you know, you end up with Supreme can, Court rulings. Can I clarify? Uh, so... But that, that was the debate, right? The, the previous versions of the Civil Rights Act, uh, did not include the public accommodations clause. So the, re, the, the debate over putting in the public accommodations clause was because, uh, even when some of those segregation laws were rolled back on the state level, you still had a massive cultural agreement among businesses that functionally continued segregation, which is why the debate over the, I, I should have clarified, not said the whole act, but the public accommodations piece of the Civil Rights Act, which was, the, the major difference between the 64 Act and, and its previous iterations. Luke, you, you made a move that like you're going to say a word? No, no. No? Okay. No. All right. There we go. Uh, Afghan Raven says, Tim, I just retired from the NYPD and would love to discuss why they are acting the way they are. That actually sounds really interesting. Um, 
Do you still have Spin the UFO? I do. Spin the UFO at gmail.com. Sure. And What's your name? It's Afghan Raven LRT. Okay. So see if you can connect. And yeah. uh, I think, you know, it'd be cool to do like a sit down interview or something and, and discuss you yeah, know, like views on for the site. From, from a former police officer. Yeah. And why you retired. And does it have anything to do with what's going on? All right. Ivan Chavez. Luke, a true Florida man, would have a mullet just saying. <gasps> Uh, Don't good, do it. Uh, good idea. No. It might happen. I hear the mullets coming back. I could uh, be wrong about that. Maybe I, I But I think it's only hipsters doing it, though. So. All right. The, the mullet is very popular now among, like, 22-year-old oh, New York kids. There you go. See? Told you. X says it's actually closer to shava depression. You keep saying shaba pressure. No, it's shaba-da. Yeah. Pressure. Get it right. Shaba. Oh, no. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He did have the duh in there. Oh, okay. That's my bad. Okay. Uh, I don't know. I, I sat there and I had it on loop and slow-mo and I was like trying to write it out. I worked really hard on that one because people were saying true and a lizzle shaper or something oh, like what? that. And I'm like, that's not what he said. It's, you know, true and not shaba to pressure. This is giving me flashbacks to listening to so much speaking in tongues when I lived in rural Kentucky growing <laughs> oh, up. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm just like hearing it. I'm just like, I think I hear, I understand maybe, some of these words. Maybe that's what Biden's doing. It's it's starting to emerge, you know. That is what the, the, the tongues. Oh, wow. Blah, 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 blah. oh wow, Chris. We should be more careful with our criticisms, then. Yeah. <laughs> Silently in Atlanta says, a meme of the nat- nativity. Oh, it just jumped on me. What are you doing, YouTube? They always do that. Okay, now we'll try and go back and figure out where that uh, super chat. There we go. A meme of the nat- of the nativity says, even though Mary and Joseph had masks, the innkeeper denied a room since they didn't have a vac status card. Facebook stamped it with it with an information resource where to find a vaccine. Speechless, amazing. Matt Fantazzi says, Tim, when can we expect Frank from Quite Frankly on his recent interview with Chrisanne Hall was a major white pill. She would be a great guest as well. I know Frank. He's a cool dude. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll hit him up. We'll, we'll figure something out. Frank has a podcast, quite frankly. I, I, I hung out a couple of years ago at their studio. Good dude. It's a great I haven't name. talked to him in a minute, just pa- in, in passing, but we'll, we'll, we'll reach out to him. Big Bad Beard says the people of NYC need to hold the NYPD accountable of these actions. That is the fastest way to change things. I agree. But, uh, what's, you, you just moved there. What, what's yeah. your view? No, I mean, that's that was kind of why I think it's good that the police is doing it, because when it's the business, there is not really anybody to directly hold accountable that has power over the over the policy itself. Mm. So I agree that the police need to be account- held accountable. But ultimately, the people who need to be held accountable are the people making the political decisions that are ordering the police to do it. Cool. Overdressed says pop culture crisis is really fun to listen to. I just listened to all the episodes on Spotify. Woo! If you nice. haven't. You should. Show. You should go to TimCast.com and check out Pop Culture Crisis. It is a podcast talking about TV shows, movies, etc., pop culture issues. So it's um sometimes talks about cultural stuff, but mostly pop culture. And then we sometimes talk about pop culture stuff, but mostly culture and politics. So that's why we were like, we should do a separate show because we've got a ton of opinions on the new movies that are coming out. We, we of course, love all these movies and, and music. So let's make a show for it. And we did. And it's a very uh, new channel. We're still working out getting everything going. We just catch, taking it uh, uh, slow. But if you want, you can go on YouTube and subscribe to Pop Culture Crisis, and uh, we'll start promoting it maybe in a, in a few weeks. But we want to get the ball rolling, and then once it's established, we'll do like a big promo thing for it, for sure. Uh, Free speech says Tim. Why were you afraid to hold Jack accountable? Well, I'll say a few things on this. For one, uh, I 
I don't know a whole lot about what went down between Jack and Sydney other than these clips that were on the internet. I didn't watch the show and it was a few days after what had happened. So I was like, I don't know. Look, you know, we have guests who are booked for the show. I don't know about all the drama going on in their lives. Some people pointed out that Fresh and Fit had some drama and they were super chatting us as well. And I'm like, yo, I don't know anything about it. I'm not here to, to, to condemn or condone any kind of behavior. I can certainly say I told Jack he should have apologized outright to Sydney because he should not have snapped at her like that. And that's all I can really say. I mean, holding accountable require being involved in, in a better understanding of what happened. So I, I definitely feel bad because I, I think Sydney and Elijah are cool people. And I, I don't know. I don't know, man. That's all I can really say about it for the most part, other than I hope everybody can figure out how to find peace and get along and we can, you know, strive to do better with uh, fighting towards liberty and freedom. And um, shout out to Elijah and Shidney. Their show is You Are Here. They do a good job and they're cool people. And I don't know what this talk is about Rakeda Law or anything like that. Rakeda is a, a, a rad dude and he's always welcome on the show as well. Right. And uh, I don't know if there's any other super chats. I'll see what I can read. Danny Lincoln says, I got offered to film for Monster Energy. Pretty much a dream job. I had to turn them down because I said I need to get the jab. That's the way things are going, man. That's the way things are going. All right. uh, Porter Davidson says, did you guys hear that Kamala Harris said that democracy is the greatest national threat? I don't think we should give her the benefit of the doubt that she misspoke. Did she really say that? I looked that up. Mm, Did she say that? I'm not sure. Well, I got to be honest. I'm not a big fan of um, the act like democracy on, on its own. What I mean by that is like Benjamin Franklin said, what did he say? He's a, a, a democracy is two wolves and a lamb deciding on what's for lunch and a republic is a well-armed lamb contesting the vote. <laughs> so uh, it, that you, when you really – I think most people understand this probably even better than I do. But when you really start to read through history and understand the purpose of the republic, you're like, oh, I kind of get that, man. Smaller states need to have the ability to defend themselves from larger and more powerful states. Otherwise, you can't have a cohesive system. That's why we have a constitutional republic with democratic electoral processes. There you go. Eight Ball says, can you truly say a country is free if you are forced to vote for a set principles in direct opposition to your own? Well, no. In the United States, you can vote for whatever you want, but there is a dominant social culture, man. So, all right, let's just read uh, one more. We'll read one more here. Lammy says, won't be long till the death data will have to be reviewed. Fed up with seeing deaths 28 days after a positive COVID test on the BBC UK media. The data cannot be trusted and a review has to happen. I don't know a whole lot about what's going on in the UK, but uh, we definitely need the data. And there was a big controversy because Pfizer doesn't want to release it until what, like 2050 or something? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, my friends, smash that like button if you have not already. Subscribe to this channel and share the show with your friends if you do like it. Head over to TimCast.com. Become a member. We will have a members-only segment up around 11 or so p.m. Just for you guys. You'll see it on the website, TimCast.com. You can follow the show at TimCastIRL or like underscore IRL, whatever. We get, you know, basically everywhere. And you can, we have clips on Instagram. You can follow me at TimCast. Inez, do you want to shout out social media or anything else? Sure. You can follow me on Twitter at Inez Felcher, F-E-L-T-S-C-H-E-R. But if you type in Stepman, it'll, it'll pop up. Thank cool. you so much for coming. It was awesome to have you here. I have my own media organization called We Are Change. You could watch a video I did today on YouTube. And I did another one about my predictions for the future on LukeUncensored.com. Hope to see some of you guys there. Thanks for having me. Chris Carr 17 on Twitter. Uh, oh, did I? No? Yeah, no, sorry. Okay. <laughs> it's your turn. Chris Carr 17 on Twitter. Uh, 17 in honor of the 17th letter in the alphabet. Thank you.
And I am also here in the corner. It does look like Kamala Harris said that democracy is the biggest national security threat in a CBS interview, which is really interesting. When? Uh, a couple Terrific. days ago. Oh. Yeah. I didn't see well, that then. at all. Slipped right by me. Yeah. That's terrifying. Okay. Anyway, you guys may follow me on Twitter at Sarah Patch Lintz. All right, everybody. Head over to TimCast.com for that members-only segment. Don't forget to sign up. Smash that like button. And we'll see you all there. Bye, guys. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.